I have never run a marathon. I'm never going to run a marathon. Guys, you heard it here first. <laughs> never going to fucking happen. With these knees and these hips and this person, absolutely not. These nipples, not. Your, well, your IBS, you, you're automatically, automatically disqualified. Oh, I've already shit myself. Yeah. You've shit yourself at mile two. Thinking about it. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, not even mile two, babe. Just thinking Out about the it. gate. Just thinking about it. I'm done. Hi. Hello. How's it going? What you doing? I'm recording too. I'm singing. I've got my voice back. Kind of. Anyway. It sounds good. Yeah, here it is. Here it sounds. Yes. It sounds much better than. Well, it didn't sound like anything at all before, to be honest. It was weird. It was weird to lose your voice. Not great. Not great. I've lost my voice before and I've lost my hearing before. And uh, both of those are, I mean, it's, it's sobering. It's bracing to lose either of those things. I don't understand losing your hearing, but okay. I had pneumonia and I lost my hearing for like a month. And all my doctor could say was like, "No, "It, it will come back. And I just was like, guess what? Yeah. It, it here's what I've learned. I can do anything for like three weeks, but mm-hmm. when it starts to get into that fourth week, that's when, that's what I, I learned with my car. One time my power was out for three weeks. And in that, tell the people week, the good news. Oh, I got a new car. Oh, thank God. Finally. Thank God. Um, and what'd you get? What'd you get? What'd you get? I got uh an almost brand new 2022 Ford Escape plug-in Great. hybrid. I, I love it. I bought it in a private sale using a new app, although I was very shy about using an app again. But the seller was very nice. It had been his daughter's car. There was a whole history. Anyway, my favorite part of the whole thing is that I told him my prior saga. And then he agreed to, after I test drove it, he met me to test drive it. He agreed to also letting me bring it to um, a mechanic to get yeah. it inspected. He's like, listen, I'm not, I, you, you have trauma. And here's where, and he's like, and here's where I'm meeting you. I'm meeting you at your trauma. He had his own trauma too surrounding like this. this car. But he said, as I told, I, I was like, thank you so much for, for agreeing to like meet me two times in one day. But I just want to be extra cautious. And he said, no, I totally understand your caution. And he was like, and as I said to my wife, the last thing I need to do is be on a podcast. Well, and he <laughs> and here he is. And here he is. But in a positive way. He was really lovely. And uh, yeah, we got the car yesterday. Well, sir, I hope you're listening. Because by the way, (laughs) bless your heart, you made it in the first three minutes. Some people have to fucking wade through this shit for two and a half hours before they hear their name mentioned. And I got to tell you, those people, they don't love that. Yeah. They love it. Yeah, sometimes they never hear it. They never sometimes they sometimes they like just don't have it in them to yeah. get there. It's true. Which, honestly, same, same yeah. girl, same. Yeah, we can understand that. <clears throat> um, and we just are like, it's not for those people, even though they know their name might be mentioned. It's not. We understand. It's for people who 
like to spend time. Oh my and God, do you want to hear the craziest thing? Yeah, I want to, I always want to hear the craziest thing. Well, it's just just new news. I don't even think you know this yet. What? Um, I just, I talked to Simran this morning. Yeah. My friend Simran, you know, mm-hmm. from LA, guys at home. Um, and she was here because she wrote on that show Manifest. Yes, I saw and that. They, they finished up. Fest. Yeah, yeah, and I was supposed to see her, but then, you know, the great sea witch stealing my voice of <laughs> 2022 <laughs> happened. And Raymond, by the way, really appreciated that. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, asked, most of I our, asked to permission oh, to use this photo first because I'm not just going to, like, steal Raymond's IP, you know? Well, his IP is being... Um, is being taken advantage of by white women. That's what he always is saying. <laughs> Isn't it? Well, well I, mean, I asked, this white woman asked, and he. I was like, Raymond, don't you have a picture of yourself dressed as a sea witch? And he was like, yeah, why? And then I was like, oh, because I want to make a joke on Instagram about Busy's voice being stolen by a sea witch. And then he sent it right to me. And he was like, LOL. I mean, he's like, immediately. Yeah. Um. That's funny. I think a lot of our a lot of our listeners and fans appreciated it as well. Um, and I get it. I really get it. And it made me it made me lull. It was like a it was a surprise for me. I didn't even yes. Know it. I didn't was ask happening. your permission. No, to, you didn't. But to, you know what? I loved it. <clears throat> so anyway, I didn't get to see Simran right. while she was. We were supposed to see each other, and then I just was like, I'm sorry, I have to rest. Yeah. You know, Casey, if I, if I was, this is, you know, couldn't do my podcast. I couldn't go see Simran either. You know? I mean, I'm really impressed that you rested because I was thinking like, Busy doesn't have a voice, but that won't stop her from doing all kinds of things with her eyes, ears, and body. I didn't do anything. You really did rest. No, I didn't even, I had gone to Chicago over the weekend. I didn't even unpack. Ah. I just like. You were, were I you let it re- ride. You were truly exhausted or were you like disciplining yourself to rest? I don't know if it was the moon or or just that I was fighting this thing. Yeah. <clears throat> but I just felt weird and like exhausted and tight and like I needed to just yeah, like I just needed to rest. I get it. And like so I just didn't talk. And I didn't, I didn't talk to anyone on the phone, like, which, you know, for me is a big deal. Yeah. I was texting with tons of people. I was texting with you. I was like, yeah. I have so much to say. <laughs> I just have so much to say. Uh. But I didn't say any of it. And I just didn't kind of do anything. I didn't even like really look online at stuff. I didn't watch anything. I just sort of was like in bed. And Birdie came and like laid with me in bed for a bit. But like, that was kind of it. Huh. But anyway, well, back I'm to Simran. Yeah, back to Simran. So she called me this morning to like catch up because she's starting a new job today and she's got like kind of a long commute. And I remember those days in LA. Actually, it's interesting. She has almost exactly my same commute that I had for the six years I was on Cougar Town, which was a brutal. Yeah. Um, those of you who don't live in Los Angeles, occasionally you get lucky as an actor or writer and you get a job and then the writer's room or the where you're shooting is relatively close-ish to your house and sometimes there's a couple places that are like an hour and a half away (laughs) like it's like you know what I mean like they're just like in different cities basically um 
so she was driving to work and she called me, which is so funny because when I was on Cougar Town that year, I would call Michelle on my way to work. Right. East Coast. And I would right. call my friend Kate on my way to work because she's in right. New Jersey. Like, yeah, that makes insane. sense. Insane. Yeah. You roll calls, roll calls. <laughs> um, but anyway, she's heading to her new job today. The writer's room starts today in person. And guess who is in it? I already know the answer to this. Oh, man. I put them in touch. Oh, okay. Well, then you did a mitzvah. <laughs> but okay. we can say Shantira. Shantira's you know, so in Simran's new writer's room. Yeah. Yes. I, I was um, just very excited. I, in my job of connecting people, I feel like that's my job. Like just giving you're, people. You're, you are a Malcolm Gladwell connector. So am I. <laughs> I Sometimes feel like- I'm connecting people and I'm like, here's a lot. Like, here's like the problem with being a connector, guys, is like sometimes you're like, but, do you, but where am I? Exactly. Yes. That's I, know. Yeah, I know. I'm like, it's, who is calling to connect to me? It's, it's so fucking hard yeah. because I have connected so many people and I do sometimes feel like, oh, well now they're just friends and I'm just over here. And they're like, <laughs> I see them on vacation together in Mexico. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I guess that's a vibe. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I guess I wasn't the one, but I think, I don't know. I've, I've looked at it. I've started to look at it like a superpower. Yeah. I feel very good about it. And I have to be honest, I have, uh, like, I'm so grateful to you. I'm so grateful to our friend Paul F. Tompkins because I think he's an amazing connector. And, like, he's why you and I know each other. Mm -hmm, and he's mm -hmm. the kind of person that is just, like, I think he'd be delighted to hear that, like, you were having lunch with a friend of his in New York City. Like, knowing that he's not there and he couldn't be there, like, that would, nothing would bring him greater pleasure. But I do I, – sometimes I do feel a little bit, like, professionally. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm just, like, recommending people all the time and, like, connecting people. And then I'm like, is anyone calling anyone to get my number? But you can't feel like that. That's just, like, a passing, you know. No. And I think it's – I think you have to, like, shift the way you think about things – Always. I mean, we, we're always constantly trying to like shift the way we think about things, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's energetic and it's like good begets good. Yeah. And, and doing something nice for others, like always, I really do believe it doesn't always immediately come back, but it does come back. It yeah. does. It just does. I, I believe I that. mean, I'm hanging in there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to change course. Well, but you can't now. That would I be feel so like weird. I'm. Yeah, I feel like I'm. I'm due for a surprise call from someone that tried to get my number from someone else. We'll see. We'll see. Did I tell you about the weirdest thing? This is not going to be that great of a story. But one of right. our friends. But you know what we like on this podcast? I know when I announce, it's like not a great story before before I even start. But anyway, I did think it was a little bit funny. Is that somebody contacted me and was like, "Do you have so and so's 
number or like an email for them. And it was somebody who's like not famous, but like a really powerful person in entertainment. And mm-hmm. I was like, um, let me look. And I looked and I was like, I don't think I do. And then just my family was like, what are you looking for? Cause I was like, of course, muttering to myself. And I was like, I'm looking for XYZ's like phone number or email. Cause this other person wants it. And Eli's like, oh, I have it. <laughs> and I was why okay. do you have it? And he was like, oh, that person went to my high school and I like uh, once contacted them when I was in high school to like uh, participate in like a teacher's retirement video. Well, you have to tell us who the famous person is. It's not. I mean, nobody would even know. It's just like a powerful person in entertainment. It's like a showrunner or whatever. I'm just chewing on a, a lozenge. Yeah, we're we're chew on whatever you got to chew on today. <clears throat> We got to keep you going. We really do. We really, (laughs) really do. But I do feel like I've bounced back. Casey and I tried a new thing this week, guys. We made a list. Make a list, baby. Do you know that song? No. Make a list, baby, and then love will make it come true. Oh, my God. Make a list, baby. I believe in that. I'll do for you. I thought it would be it'd be better if it was the things I'll do to you. <laughs> it might be, but maybe I said for you because maybe um acts like of I was a little kid. love language. Are they? I I think so. Yeah. I think all things are wait, okay. Can we clear something out about love languages? Because I never read the book and it's a skinny book, so I sh- probably should just read it since I talk about it all the time. Remember like fucking... when we found out about it on yes. Busy Tonight? Yes. Tony Be- Hale. Because of Tony Hale. And he said that gifts are his love language. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. So we gave him a gift of ch- a bag of chip witches because he loves chip witches and he was Who delighted. Doesn't? And Let's he's delightful. Be I love Tony Hale. That I mean, I always loved him as a performer, but that visit made me just love him so much oh, as a person. He's a damn delight. You know what he's else? So like tender and adorable. Yeah. And, yeah. His daughter is super talented, like crazy, really? crazy talented. I love that. She's older than Birdie, but um, I saw her in a play. They were in the same play at like one of those theater programs you know like a you know showbiz kids whatever the fuck it's called right and literally those things are always such a cringe fest because right guys whatever don't it's kids don't at me it's kids kids kids. are you know but she was unbelievable so she's super talented okay here's my question about love languages and then we have a really special guest joining us so yes. then I'll shut up about it yeah is a love language something that you do for other people when you say acts of service or touch or time or um whatever whatever the love language is gifts is it something that you you speak that love language, you do it for other people, or is it that it speaks to you and it's that's both. what you're hoping? Or is it's it both. both? Okay. Yeah, okay. Both. I really do need to um, read the book. I've never talked so much with authority on something I didn't understand and have not re- <laughs> read the book. Okay. Oh, see, um, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, I'm just going around talking about it. Like it's something that I'm an expert on. I mean, but, I um, feel like Honestly, can we be real? It's not that deep. You know it's what I mean? It's not that deep. It's like do nice things for people yeah, and like yeah. which flavor of nice thing do you like the most? And the answer is I like all of them. 
Yeah, and sure. So well, we all like, do. I'm multilingual in love languages, apparently. As am I. And yeah. uh and I I understand them more than I speak them, but I'd like to get better at speaking them too. And I guess I could just well, read the book. You know, I really again I don't think you need to. <laughs> and you know what? <clears throat> Speaking of like love languages, is this yes. a good segue? I don't yeah, know. it's great. It's I it okay. Started off so, great. so we haven't even gotten into it, but we will after we talk with our guest. Um, because of what I'm like the Michigas with Kanye this yeah earlier this week and it's his been ongoing horrible, rolling. It's been ongoing, and then he had just like a really horrible anti-Semitic like inflammatory tweet. And then a lot of my Jewish friends were kind of like, I had this conversation with a lot of people. They're like, I feel like people just don't at this point speak up anymore about anti-Semitism. I had posted something, but you know. Yeah. I have a connection. And so anyway, in Los Angeles, there's a temple called Ikar that if I moved back to LA, we would join and Birdie would go there, but I live in New York. <laughs> but you know what I do do? Do do. Do you know what I do? <laughs> I, wa- I watch Rabbi Sharon Bruss's um, sermons. Sometimes I'm in the bath. Sometimes I'm using my LED face light on my face. Sure. And I just listen. <laughs> and, uh, and I've seen Rabbi Bruss in person before actually right before the shutdown right before the pandemic and you gave such a beautiful sermon about the trees that their roots meet underneath yes we've had conversations i've actually talked about this on the podcast we we talked about it with cameron esposito because she had like a she had like an epiphany about like her audience her comedy audience being trees who's who were connected underground underneath i know and 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 she's also studying to be an episcopalian yeah, like something minister, pastor. I don't know. Um, anyway, Rabbi. <laughs> Hello. Hello. What do we do? We call you Rabbi Bross. Do we call you Sh- Sharon? What do we call you? You can call me Sharon. Okay, That's Sharon. Great. great. It's good to be with you. I don't know Hi. you. Hi. It's nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you too. Nice to meet you both. Thank I'm you. A fan. I'm, I'm Casey. You know, busy. <laughs> I'm a fan as well. My husband and I just recently listened to your most recent sermon, uh, driving the Yom around. Kippur one. Yeah, the Yom Kippur sermon. Yes, that I kept saying was Rosh Hashanah, but it wasn't. <laughs> there was one of those too. So, what was that one about? That one was about subversive sequels. It was about the idea that there is a time in which the original story that's written needs to have a new story that that subverts the moral message from the original. And that in many ways, the Jewish people need a subversive sequel to our um, many generations of, of history of exile and oppression and genocide, and that America needs a subversive sequel to the original narrative that is rooted in white supremacy and greed and exploitation, and that we have to be the authors of the new story that needs to be written in our time. Oh, that sounds like a good one, everyone. Well, now I got to listen to that. <laughs> good, <laughs> good news is you can find them all online, guys, on ikar, 
dot org dot org yeah. run right. the bath you got it run the bath <laughs> I I have to say I have to say especially during through the pandemic a lot of your sermons brought me so much um, comfort and so that's why I thought of you and reached out to see if you could spend a couple minutes with us here in our audience and just talk about a little bit I mean like all of these things are interconnected and. And how do we, how actually, like, truly, how do we start to write this sequel, like, rewrite this sequel? And, yeah, let's start there. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Just because I feel like we're at this, like, really pivotal moment, and especially in terms of how people are choosing to show up for others that maybe are outside of their community or not show up mm -hmm. for others. Like, mm -hmm. like what is the core of that? And like, how can people be better, honestly, allies to the Jewish community? Yeah. There's so, th thank you for the question. There's so much here. I'm just, I'll start with actually the idea of subversive sequels, which comes from a, a scholar who lives in Jerusalem named Judy Klitzner, who writes about how built into the Bible are stories that end up subverting the moral message of the of the original stories. So when you look at something, you're not seeing the full picture. You're only seeing maybe the first chapter of it. And you have to be willing to invest in the in the sequel to that story. So the so I I spent um some weeks over the summer in Central and Eastern Europe and we were exploring both the history of um, the destruction of, of European Jewry and also the seeds of possibility of new life there and the new democracy movement that's emerging in many places in, um, in Central Europe. There are a lot of Jews involved in that movement, but not only Jews, obviously. And also recognizing the connection between the rise in uh, kind of pre-fascism and tyranny yeah. in Europe and what's happening here in the United States. Of course. And I'm, I want to give you just a little taste of something that we encountered there. We went to Auschwitz. We actually did a bike ride from um, Auschwitz to Krakow that was a 60-mile bike ride that was an expression of kind of the vitality of um, of Jewish life. And a lot of the Jewish life that's reemerging there now is, is working very hard to help settle Ukrainian refugees and to really live into what those core Jewish values are. What does it mean for the Jewish people to survive? Who are we and how do we live in the world? But after we left Poland, we uh, we were on our way to Budapest and we spent two nights in Slovakia. And we, we went to a small town, uh, we went to Kosice in Slovakia, and there was a synagogue there. And this is a community like so many communities throughout Europe in which the entire Jewish population was um, deported to Auschwitz and almost everyone murdered. Mm -hmm. And we went into the big synagogue in the heart of Kosice, which used to be this thriving Jewish city center. And what happened was no this the the synagogue was used as the deportation site um when the Nazis came in and were ready to take the Jews to Auschwitz. And so for many days, there were thousands of Jews packed into the sanctuary just awaiting deportation. And then the community was almost entirely decimated, and nobody went into the synagogue for decades. And then a couple of years ago, there are a couple. There are a few Jews who survived who made their way back to Kosice, and they're trying to rebuild. Uh, taking the, the last embers of Jewish life, they're trying to rebuild. They went into this sanctuary and they started to pull the wooden pews off the walls to do some kind of renovation in the space to clean it up. And they found behind the wooden pews these pencil scrawlings 
that the Jews who were held in the sanctuary while awaiting deportation transport to Auschwitz wrote, they said, it's 1944. We don't know where they're taking us. We are here. We saw their pencil writing on the wall. Oh my God. And it was so shocking. And what I was trying to understand is who were they writing for? Who were they writing for? Because they knew at that point that they were likely going to die. They and everyone they knew, right? I mean, entire communities wiped out. And we realized that in some ways they were writing for us. They oh were writing God. so that 70, 75 years in the future, someone would give a damn that they lived and that they died. Someone was going to come and pull the wooden pews off the walls and see the writings and write the sequel to their story. And that sequel to a story of death and destruction would be a story of life and vitality and vibrancy and celebration and love and justice. And so the question is, I, th I think of those pencil scrawlings as the most sacred signals being sent out into the future. And the question is, and it's impossible. It's an impossible to imagine future, right? And yet they did. They sort of sent the signal saying someone someday is going to pick these the, these signals up. My friend Ari Wallach just wrote a book called The Long Path. And he writes about this. How do we become the ancestors that our descendants need us to be? How do we put the pieces in place in the immediate so that one day, generations from now, there will be the, the, the seeds will have been planted for our descendants to be able to, to eat from the fruit. And so I think that this is true about, um, about our, our families. I think this is true about our democracy. When we feel despairing about what the reality is, actually taking the most audacious step of all, which is planting into the far future, knowing that one day, we will somehow make it through this time that we're in. And we want to make sure that the right pieces are in place so that there can be a vital and vibrant and healthy future for our planet, for our people, for the world in the future. So that's kind of the backdrop to, to, the, to the great question that you asked. How, so we, we're sort of called to live not only in the present, but also to live into the far future. And that can feel like an incredible burden because we can barely hold it together in the present. And yet I think it's incredibly liberating because it it pulls us out of the, the, you know, the terrible headlines of the day and instead asks us to be brave enough to imagine what, what the future might actually look like and what do we need to do to connect the dots from here to there. Which in a, which in an, in a way is sort of what we see the women and young girls in Iran doing right now. They're right. Like they're, they're essentially, acting they're acting that, for a future that they're not, a lot of them are not of. seeing. Right. 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 And many and they of them, know that they might not get to see it. Exactly. That's exactly right. And so, and so how, how do you have the courage to imagine a future that you yourself will likely not even be able to experience but you, but you know and believe and hope that the descendants of yours one day will. So that that's kind of the guiding question for me. What what's the because it frees us to write a new story, not to be bound by the constraints of the current story, but instead to dream up what the new story could look like, and then figure out how do we put the pieces in place so the new story might possibly exist. So, um, and 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 part of the part of what I think is interesting about the sequel. Um, and, you know, what I call it, I think of this as a redemption narrative or in the language of Judy Klitzner, the subversive sequel. Part of what's interesting is that the people who hold the keys to the original 
do not want to share space with the people who need to, who will be part of the sequel, because there's a whole power structure built around the original script. And I think that's part of what we're seeing in America right now. Maybe it's an extinction burst. I don't know what it is, but there's a sense that, I mean, this connects to the great replacement, which I spoke about on Yom Kippur, but there's this sense that I, that my story is coming to an end and someone else's story is going to take over. And I don't want to make space for that new story. So I'm going to do everything I can to hold on to my story, even at my own expense. Mm. Even the guy who, you know, we mm. just heard who, like who burned his own house down, right? So that he could pl- blame BLM for doing, for you know, for committing this act of violence and Antifa. But actually, he literally burned his own house down. Mm. So what are the ways in which we, in which we're seeing in, a, in American political culture right now? of such a fevered pitch around the fear of replacement that literally people are willing to burn their own house down so as not to make space for a shared future, for a shared and just future. I mean, and, and the only way that, that, that we can ever achieve liberation, any of us, is by achieving collective liberation. And yet that requires sharing the space. And we don't want to share the space because once people have power and privilege, they want to hold their power and privilege even though okay. everybody will fare better once we once we learn how to share. Oh my gosh. Do you know what I love? What do you love? I love my pots and pans. My new pots and pans. Yes. I love them. Yes. The new pots and pans from Green Pan. You and I both got a set of pots and pans from Green Pan and we've been comparing notes on how great our new pans are. Well, I got to tell you something. I was at Hoffman with a guy who was like very into like all of the hidden harm in like the hidden chemicals and things that you don't it, think that there's. Right. Hidden, and he was like, oh, your pans are like number one. Right. Right. The old, it, I mean, it makes sense. It's like what you heat up and cook your food on. Yeah. The old nonstick coating. It's not good for it. Flaking for off. anyone. Coming off in your food. And also, it's just gross. It is gross. We're here. Once We're you know here. something, you can never unknow it. You have to check out Green Pan. In 2007, the founders discovered that the traditional nonstick pans were like literally toxic. Right. (laughs) So they created a new alternative without forever chemicals, which is great for you and me. But then also they made it super cute. Which is like always important to me. So they have these super cute ceramic nonstick cookware. They have 150 patents to prove that it's the cookware you should be using, not harmful. And they're the leaders in creating cookware without harmful toxins. And here's what I'm going to say. I know that the holidays are uh, almost upon us. Yes. I got my family new pans last year. And like, it's a great Christmas gift. Yes, it really is. Because you can be like, I care about your health and the aestheticness of your kitchen. Yeah. And I mean, like sometimes I'm reluctant to get in the kitchen and cook something for myself because I'm tired and not to be like too basic, but just having a cute set of 
happy yellow pans makes it a little easier for me. I agree. And frankly, I'm making food that's healthier. It costs so much less than ordering in. And it's like very specific to like my mood and my needs and the mood and needs of my family. Also, Green Pan owns their own factories, which is like, so they're like quality control from start to finish, guys. We love them. They're super cute. They've got all kinds of different things you can choose from. Try them for yourself. Get them for gifts. I think they're amazing. Remember, healthy cooking is about more than just the food that you're making. It's the products that you cook with and in, too. Right now, Green Pan has an exclusive offer just for you, our Doing Her Best listeners. If you go to greenpan.us and use promo code BEST, you'll receive 30% off your entire order, plus free shipping on orders over $99. Whether you're going to buy one pan or you buy a whole set, it's still going to give you 30% off. So go to greenpan.us and use our promo code BEST. You know what I think we talk about a lot and I feel like is very true and holds true, especially now, and like literally we're talking about it on the podcast today. Tell me. That words matter. That what you say matters, that the stuff that you put into the universe matters. I agree. Yeah. I really, really do. Little Words Project is the original word bracelet brand um, founded on the belief of being kind to yourself and to others. So you can like write yourself a little message. What does yours say? Oh, I have one that has my name and I also have one that says believe. Okay. I have my kids' names, but then I also have... Um, one that I made that says like, slow down. Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. it. Little words are made to be worn and loved and one day passed on to someone who needs that little word of encouragement more than you. And the best part, each bracelet has a unique code on the tag that you can register on their website so you can track where your bracelet goes as it inspires from wrist to wrist. That's so exciting. I got to give away mine. I guess the point is maybe we should fill up our wrists and pass them out to people everywhere we go. I mean, I kind of think that's great. Like the (laughs) custom bracelets, but also the regular ones make great gifts for everyone on your list too. We're really talking about gifts. We got to do a gift guide. Yes. But anyway, I'm just saying they're an amazing price. They're so sweet. I love them. My kids love them. And it really does remind me when I'm wearing it and I look down and I'm just like, okay, slow down. I love it. Yeah. You know? I I keep mine on my doorknob in my office. So when I'm not wearing them, it's just every time I touch that doorknob, which is a lot, I just think about it. It's really cute. It gives me a little moment. A little sparkle. Yeah. Guys, do you want to check them out? Please check them out. Want to empower yourself and spread kindness to others with the original word bracelet? We have a special offer for our listeners. Go to littlewordsproject.com slash busy or enter busy at checkout for 30% off your first order. It's the best offer you can get limited time only. That's littlewordsproject.com slash busy for 30% off your first order. You can also find Little Words Project at Target, Nordstrom, and at one of their flagship stores, which is, there's one here in New York. Thank you, Little Words Project. Thank you. But Sharon, why? Why? To what end? I say on the podcast all the time, to what end with these people? Like, literally, what is it that they think they deserve, they need, they 
have it all. What because is Rabbi, it? Rabbi Sharon, we've talked about this, like even in the context of entertainment that which Busy and I talk about a lot because that's our business, is that like over and over it's been proven that entertainment that doesn't center white male cishet characters can be successful. It can be. And, oh, and people so, love it and they want it. And, and people like, they love it. They want to see themselves they, reflected in different exactly. stories. And, and yet. Even themselves reflected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Time and time again, entertainment will say, oh, it doesn't work. Or that, t- that one time it worked, it was a fluke and we're not going to return to that. Mm-hmm. And so we're like in a business, it's literally called show business in a business where like seemingly the goal is to like make things that people enjoy and then make money from that people in in positions of power are rejecting the success and the money in favor of holding on to the power that they have and it doesn't make any sense and it, so now i'm making a connection to like in the same way that it doesn't make sense to burn down your own house and blame it on black lives matter you just you ch- you traded the comfort of what you actually have based on your privilege to to just promote this fallacy Right. I mean, I, so so here I'll take you back to 2017, um, to the to the protests that were happening in Charlottesville. And mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I spoke about that. I've spoken about this many times before, but I do. I really recall um, sitting on my couch watching the news and watching on CNN and seeing these, you know, these white nationalists who were with the tiki torches and they were screaming, Jews will not replace us. Right. And I and I I'm thinking, what? <laughs> like, seriously, talking about? So I know. That's what yeah. I, I I have the same reaction. I'm like, first of all, with the tiki torches and the and the Gap khakis, like what? Right. Is, exactly. Exactly. What are you? Literally, what are you talking about? Right. And I think many of us didn't know what they were talking about, and many of us didn't know, you know, what Jews had to do with this. And I remember, I remember hearing. On CNN, they reported that these guys are chanting, you will not replace us. And I thought, no, no, they're saying Jews will not replace us. And I don't know why, but it seems worth trying to understand. So oh, um, very shortly after that happened, a guy named Eric Ward, who's uh, who's a friend of mine, really interesting guy who you should have uh, on the on the podcast at some point. He's from Western State Center. He's um, he's a, a black civil rights um, researcher and activist. And he started he actually embedded with white nationalists for many years before white nationalists was all the rage, you know, under the Trump administration. He was doing this work years ago. And what he learned in that space is that anti-Semitism is the beating heart of white nationalism. This is really important for us to understand, because part of the tool, the mechanism that the right uses to divide the left and to divide, to divide movements for social justice, and this has been happening for many decades, is anti-Semitism. This is a tool, a mechanism that is used as a political manipulation in order to drive a wedge in movements for justice and for liberation, for equality. And so you'll all the time see that, you know, 
the Women's March happens and five million people take to the streets all around mm-hmm. the country. And then all of a sudden, the whole thing's going to blow up over allegations of anti-Semitism. And then we're all in a conversation about who is and who isn't an anti-Semite. And we're not focusing anymore on the administration that has taken over and the, the president who will then put three Supreme Court justices on the court who will do everything in their power to deny the rights and dignities of Amer- of millions and millions of Americans. So the, in, in some ways, the argument over anti-Semitism is a very effective wedge. And the people who operate, the, po- the political operatives on the right, really know and understand that. Mm-hmm. Anti-Semitism is the beating heart of white nationalism. And the way that it works is there is this white supremacist conspiracy theory. The, mm-hmm. the idea of the Great Replacement is that white people are being replaced that white people are being replaced by immigrants and black people and Muslims and other people of color, and that Jews are behind all of it, that Jews are the puppet masters who are responsible for orchestrating all of this, that there's a Jewish agenda. You know, when you hear claims from people like Marjorie Taylor Greene about Jewish space lasers, and when Kanye talks about Jewish financial engineering, you hear these... The reason that these are very, these aren't just stupid comments, but they're very dangerous comments is because they're actually parroting talking points that come from a very powerful and very dangerous white nationalist playbook. And the idea of the, the Great Replacement, the whole idea of, of white nationalism itself really was on the fringes until the past several years when it moved to the mainstream and it's increasingly violent and mm-hmm. it's increasingly now the 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 language this is why i i was I, you know personally very upset about what happened with kanye because i don't even i don't know how much kanye realizes that he's using the language of the white nationalists but he is and so often you'll see the jewish community is very reactive to um to anti-semitic tropes and part of the reason that I am very and, and I try to say, OK, let's put this in perspective. Right. Let's let's hold in perspective and let's focus on building relationships and let's be good allies ourselves and focus on how we can do that. And sometimes you hear people using language and using tropes that are actually a part of a very dangerous movement um, that that actually endangers not just Jews, but endangers democracy, endangers all all of us. And so. It's very important, I think, that people understand the centrality of that, of, of the of the the role that anti-Semitism plays in the broader white nationalist playbook and the way that that idea has really moved from the margins into the mainstream over the course of the past just five or six years in America. Another thing that Donald Trump is in part responsible for, um, I guess my question is, why is it so effective as their political tool? Because it's fear-driven. People uh-huh. don't want to lose the okay, privilege I, that they have. Can I just ask you a question? Because I was talking about this this morning with Mark, with my ex-husband, who's Mark Silverstein, who's like half Jewish. And I was like, okay, so I know statistically how many Jews there are in the United States is like a kind of a small number. Sharon, is it literally that like a lot of people don't know a Jewish person? It's literally that a lot of people don't know a Jewish person. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, only it's, knew it's, one Jewish person growing up. And he I see, I grew up conf- in Scottsdale, Arizona, right. like with 
like a very large Jewish community and all of, I was the only one that wasn't Jewish growing up. I grew up in an industrial town in Massachusetts, an hour outside of Boston, and I knew one Jewish person. I didn't even realize he was Jewish. He just told me in passing years after knowing him, but that until I moved to New York City was, no, that's not true. I met uh, one other Jewish person in college. So, yeah, mm. Mark Mark told me he grew up in Maryland and he said he was the only Jewish kid in his high school, in at a huge high school. Yeah, I mean, there are about 7 million Jews in America. It's around 2% of the population. And Jews tend to find, Jews tend to live in places where other Jews live, which means that, you know, and typically in urban areas. And so you'll see huge percentages of Jews living in New York City, in Los Angeles, in Chicago, and then in a couple of other major cities throughout the country. And outside of those places, there are many people who've never met Jews. Now, I remember seeing a study years ago that asked people what percentage of the world population do they think Jews are? And it was like 40%. I mean, there's an assumption because of the way that the news works. um, And and I think just the way that like the popular culture works that people think that there are many, many more Jews than there actually are. But we're we're a minuscule population in terms of the world and and a minuscule population even in terms of um, America, which is outside of Israel, the greatest population uh, of, of Jews in the world is in the United States. Well, I just want to point something out. Busy, you asked the question, why is it so effective? Um, I just read, I believe it's estimated that there are under 15 million Jewish people in the world. Does that sound right, Rabbi? It's about, I'm going to say about 16 million, about 16 million Jews. Yeah. Okay. It's- Kanye West has 31.4 million it- Twitter followers. D- Come on. Nearly double <laughs> nearly double the amount of Jewish people in the world. So I want to say a couple things that I think are important to the discussion, and they're things that people have heard, but I don't think that people can hear them enough, which is that I'm very active on Twitter. I did see Black Twitter jump all over Kanye's initial vile statement and say, this is wrong. I think um, if if people missed that, maybe it's because that's not part of their circle of what they're paying attention to. But I did see uh, Black people and predominant voices on on Black Twitter immediately shutting it down. And so they're, to me, they have to be the ones that reported it in the first place and got it removed and, you know, whatever disciplinary action Twitter is taking. Um, but also... Kanye has spoken about his mental health struggles. So I see a lot of people like equivocating on that and saying like, you know, he's not okay. Mental illness doesn't make anyone anti-Semitic or bigoted in any way. There are plenty of mentally ill people who aren't biased in that way. This is something different. So I just wanted to point those things out that mental illness in no way would ever excuse anyone from being bigoted in any way. And that anti-Semitism isn't acceptable. Anti-blackness isn't acceptable. And this is like a whole other thing. Yeah. And and thank you for saying that. I want to say a couple things about this. One, Charles Blow had a great piece about Kanye a couple of days ago in the New York Times that maybe you saw I mean, what it, it, it's it's the anti-black racism that's really the thing that set this off when he wore that um, the White Lives Matter T-shirt um, out 
in public and and he is using a lot of the anti-black um racism language that that yeah. we see that also comes from these white nationalist movements and so the connection between the anti-Semitism and the anti-Black racism is very is very clear and very obvious to me. I have also seen um, a lot of people calling this out and saying, you know, this is really not acceptable. I want to I want to just th- this may be obvious to you, but I, I want to just say this because it's not obvious to a lot of people. Many people perceive the American Jewish community to be a white community, to be a community of white Jews. It's just not true. Um, to, somewhere between 12 and 20 percent of American Jews are people of color. Mm. Many of them are black. Um, many of them are Latino. That Many of them are Asian. Um, uh, some are indigenous. I mean, we come from all different kinds of backgrounds. So there's this image of a kind of white Ashkenazi heterosexual cisgendered male that is the epitome of the American Jew. And it's just not it's just a, it, obviously it's a that itself is a false narrative. Right. Um, Speaking of subversive sequels, I mean, like in the 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 movement of um, of Jews of color in, in America now to to kind of reclaim and recenter um, their their voices in the American Jewish community is really is really an amazing um, kind of progress that we've seen in the Jewish community in the course of the last couple of years. So there are many people who are black and Jewish, and there has been this wedge driving uh, an attempt to drive the black and Jewish communities apart as if these are two separate communities. The same time, there has been this historic uh, allyship between the Jewish and black communities um, and those who overlap in identities there. And many of us have been working over the last several decades to try to um, to try to re- recenter that alliance to figure out how uh, how because Jew- because the Jewish communities and black communities often have shared interests, often have uh, vote, often vote in similar ways, ha- similarly um, prioritize progressive social issues. How can we really build a strong alliance uh, to build more just and loving societies together? And so there's been a lot of work that's been done in this space to help. Um, to help actually build stronger solidarity between these communities. And you'll see a lot of younger Jews in particular um, and a lot of Jewish uh, Jewish synagogues and organizations that really, really got involved uh, before Black Lives Matter was, uh, you know, became kind of more more mainstreamed over the last couple of years and especially since. Um, so that that is something that I think is important that's been happening in the space. Thank you for pointing all of that out. I mean, it's a valid point. Also, though, it brings me back to maybe there are people listening that don't know someone who's Jewish. Maybe they've never. And so they have heard, you know, all of these sort of in small, like anti-Semitism is sort of like leased through our culture in ways big and small. Wouldn't you say like, and Kanye's expression this past week is horrific and was really deeply upsetting to me as well. But there are a lot of people I think who like literally probably think like, I mean, but like Jews do have all the money. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm just like trying to, I'm trying to like get to the core of it for the people listening because we have people that listen all across this country, you know? And I want them to like all over the world, all over the world, really. And I want them to understand, like, because I sometimes even on my own Instagram, people saying like, you don't have to like do this or sending me messages like they're fine. Oh, like I got, you know what I mean? (laughs) 
Oh. Right. Well, I, he, look, this is something that's very interesting uh, that I found to be very interesting and people are only speaking about with some clarity over the course of the last couple of years. Anti-Semitism is a form of racism, but it's a form of racism that functions very differently in our society than anti-Black racism. And so these are kind of sister cancers. They're connected to each other, but they manifest in very different ways. And so um, so the nature of Jewish vulnerability and Jewish, which is rooted in Jewish trauma, is that throughout the course of history, Jews have often achieved some measure of, of real um, comfort, stability, a sense of safety, and even success, financial and political, financial and political security and success. And then in an instant, everything turns on its head. And there's a new ruler who has some genocidal intent, uh, intent and Jews are either, you know, exiled, persecuted, oppressed, um, or genocided. And so this is, this is a very old Jewish story. That's a very different narrative track than the narrative of the way that white supremacy and anti-Black racism has operated in the American context, for example. And so I think a lot of people look at anti-Semitism and they think, but I don't understand. Look at all the money and the power and the nice cars and the nice homes. And on what, first of all, I will say that not all Jews have money and power and nice cars and nice homes. And there was a study a couple of years ago that something like 40% of the Jews who live in Los Angeles are, um, are like poor and low income, something that would, I think would shock many people. And I'm ho I don't know if I get that stat exactly right, but I will, um, but I will check, um, so it's not to say that all Jews have access to power and money and graduate school and 529s and all those things, but there are a lot of uh, ways in which the Jewish community has been very successful in America. This has been, I mean, this is the, you know, golden Medina. This is the, like the, the, the great dream um, of our ancestors is in many ways our current reality here. And at the same time, that doesn't do anything to diminish a sense of Jewish vulnerability and Jewish fear, because our trauma operates in such a way that we know very well what it means to have achieved some measure of success, stability, access, and still in an instant have our whole world turned upside down. And, you know, and, and we're fleeing for our lives. And that's why a lot of Jews will say, whether they're secular or religious or identified or never go to synagogue, they always know where their passports are, right? And, and when they're touring, uh, you know, when they're looking at a house that they might consider buying, you're going to hear jokes from Jews all, you know, wherever they are in the country. And no matter if they observe Shabbat or not, like, oh, this is where we would hide when the Nazis come, right? And Oof. it's a joke. And it's also not a joke because it's built into the trauma that lives inside the Jewish system, which is it's, a sense that I'm not I'm not safe like this. It, this driveway and this two car garage does not necessarily render me safe. Right. And so I think that's an important thing for people to understand because Jews can appear to the world to be powerful and privileged. And our self-perception will still be one of vulnerability and uh, and and powerlessness, and so that's the that's a really important piece, and it's a different kind of racism because we know that that racism comes especially when Jews start to get really comfortable in right. our host society, right, wherever that is. When mm -hmm. we start to feel, and and I remember a couple of years ago, the three mayors of the three biggest cities in the United States were all Jews, and this was a moment of great 
pride and great fear for Jews because people right. were like, don't tell anybody, right? right. We don't, right. when the, when the president's grandchildren are Jewish, like, shh, don't, don't right. say so. So that might seem like, oh, we have incredible access, but it's also a sense of this doesn't, this doesn't last long. And we, where, where's our next step? Where do we go from here? Do the Jews We're, claim Jared Kushner, Rome? <laughs> I'm Which kidding. Jews? I'm kidding. <laughs> not, not this Jew. Because <laughs> he sucks. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I think it's important to to point out that while the Holocaust may not have happened in most of our lifetimes uh, that we're talking here and, and people that are listening, it is so recent. I saw somebody tweeting recently about the pop cultural events that occurred during the Holocaust, movies that we still watch. It's a Wonderful Life was shot during this time, Uh, you know. uh, So that really hit home for me. It is such recent history. So you can understand why people would have that dark gallows humor about buying a house where there was somewhere good to hide. Well, I mean, I told you what Birdie said after January 6th, Casey. Yeah. And I talked about it on the podcast. My oldest was 11, at the, 11 or 12, 12 at the time. And Birdie was really shook, like, by the January 6th insurrection. And I was talking to them before bed, and Birdie said, they want us all dead. Dad and Cricket, because Silverstein. You, because abortion. <laughs> Me, because I'm gay and Jewish. Mm. And and even though, like, my kids have never been to temple, really. Like, they are not in Hebrew school. We're not practicing yet. Mm-hmm. Birdie now wants to go to – she's interested in reconnecting with her roots, um, which is so cute. And so we're doing that. But the understanding was that Birdie saw that at age 12 and was like – that entire group of scary people would murder this entire family. Mm. Right. That's, that's something that kid knew. Yes. It's that's terrifying. And I, I understand it. And I, I mean, I remember being, um, when I was six years old, I used to say the words of Shema, the central Jewish prayer before getting into the shower each night. Because I knew that Jews said that prayer before going into the showers, before going into the gas chambers. And I don't even know where I heard that. But I remember I would stop outside the shower and say this prayer because it was to be the last words that you would say before you would die. But I didn't I didn't know. I mean, I don't even know how as a six year old child I knew that. And so it is. That's why I'm saying this is built. This is the way that trauma works in the system. And so I. You know, and I want Birdie to be safe and I want our, you know, I want all of our kids to feel, yes. um, to feel safe and comfortable. And by the way, democracy is the is the best way to protect our children. And mm-hmm. that's part of the reason why we have to, you know, push away, like reject these wedge issues and instead find ways to work together for our shared liberation and, and to protect democracy. I think that's absolutely essential. I do want to go back to something that you said about Jared Kushner, because I think that this is part of um, this is part of the way that anti-Semitism works, and this works in other minority communities when the, that the one becomes representative of the many. And okay. so, yeah. for example, I mean, Donald Trump does not reflect on white men. 
Like, right. I don't know any, you know, there aren't many white men right. out there who say, I'm so embarrassed that this white man is out there reflecting on me, right? But one Jew reflects on the Jews. And so, when, I mean, and this is the way it's always happened throughout history. And this is the way it continues to happen when there are a couple of very public, prominent Jewish personalities, their behavior ends up reflecting on the entire population. Muslims struggle in the same way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and and I, I've heard and many of my black friends have said this as well, that when there's a prominent um, black public personality and they behave in a certain way, it reflects on the whole community. I think that this happens in minority communities. And so in a way, I'm defending myself against the bad behavior of the couple of individuals because I'm seen as right. a reflection of his of his choices and his uh, immorality and his you know his his bad behavior. And so that is also a part of the way that um, that I think that that racism functions in our society. That people are seen as a reflection of the whole. By the way. This, I mean, this goes all the way back to the the Purim story, which is in in, the, in our Jewish tradition, a story that happened, you know, literally. It, it's a story that's thousands of years old, and the and and the this the the main trigger event in the story is that there's a Jew named Mordechai, and he insults Haman, who's a powerful um, who, who's a powerful advisor to the king, and immediately Haman says in this ancient scroll, the scroll of Esther, and Haman says, "I've been insulted by." Mordechai, I will kill all the Jews. And so there's this sense that the individual becomes a reflection of the whole. And I think we have to actively work to, you know, to divest people of the sense that that any one Jew is a reflection of all of the Jews, Um, just the same way as we do with any other with any other minority community. Because it's simply not fair. Just the same way that Kanye is not representative of of an entire people. He's representative of himself. But what I do want to say is, what a coup for white supremacists to get him to do their bidding. And so that's one thing that I wanted to ask you about, Rabbi Sharon, just, you know, about how do we respond to this? How is it helpful for, you know, me, a non-Jewish person, how is it helpful for me to respond to this? Do you feel like, and I realize it's just your opinion, but what, what is helpful in the face of something like this for me to do, for everyone listening at home to do? Well, I, first of all, just talking about it is really, really important. I will tell you, I remember after Charlottesville when this guy, Derek Black, maybe you heard his story. He was a um, he was the godson of David Duke and the kind of the inheritor of the um, of the KKK and um, and ran this this uh, white nationalist newsletter for youth, and he ended up going to a liberal arts college, and <laughs> and he was invited to a Shabbat dinner by a Jew, and the, and he would go, he went to the Shabbat dinner, and he started to argue with this Jew, and then the Jew invited him back the next Shabbos, and then the next Shabbos, and then the next Shabbos, and eventually he kind of changed, and he became. This, you know, that, like he recognized his family for what they were and the movement for what they were. He wrote a letter for um, to the Southern Poverty Law Center about kind of uh, exposing everything that he had been raised with. And it's a pretty, it, it, the story's incredible. Anyway, da- so Derek Black, I raise it for two reasons. One, Derek Black wrote, uh, I believe, after the after Charlottesville, he said that that was this when when the president of the United States equivocated regarding the Nazis marching, the neo Nazis, the white nationalists marching. 
um, in Charlottesville, he said it was the single best day in the history of the white nationalist movement because what what needs to happen when these guys show their faces is they have to be roundly and unequivocally condemned. And any kind of equivocation in the face of white nationalist talking points gives legitimacy to those talking points. And so what happened after that march when when the you know when the president himself and others and the people who platformed the president and all the whole you know right wing media ecosystem when they refused to um when they refused to be unequivocal in condemnation of this movement was that they really allowed for a flourishing of the movement and so I believe that w- what we should be focusing on is not Kanye, but I think we should be focusing on the people who are allowing for the flourishing of these ideas. There are lots of people who are making lots of money off of this kind of extremism. Right. I think that we have to we, we have to talk about uh, talk about it unequivocally. Be very clear about what is at the heart of this white supremacist conspiracy theory. Be very clear about the role of anti-Semitism in anti-Black racism, um, and the way that these racisms are connected to each other, even though they manifest in ways that are different from one another. And 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 talking about it like you, the two of you are here, like the three of us are here, is one of the ways that we can address that. There are other people who are like that. You know that Jew in the in college with Derek Black, who was who's able to actually go to the to the heart of the matter and invite a guy into his home again and again and again and again, and that is not for everybody, but that's for somebody. Meaning, go talk to your racist uncle, your racist neighbor, your racist, you know, mm-hmm. and actually br- bring them into conversation, call people out, you know, like really try to uh, call people in, you know, really try to call engage it. And I'll say, I'm going to say one last thing about this. I was once giving a talk in a synagogue um, in in Virginia, and this woman told me an incredible story. She said that she she was in a, a, a white Christian, heavily white Christian neighborhood growing up, very few Jews, almost nobody knew a Jew, as we were discussing earlier. She said she was sitting um, with a bunch of with a bunch of students uh, in the high school, and somebody started to talk about the Jews, and in this really offensive way and was talking about Jews and their relationship with money and Jewish power, et cetera. And she stood up and she pounded on the table and she said, how dare you speak like that? I am a Jew. And everyone was so shocked because they had no idea that she was Jewish. And they actually like, it took them back. And she said to me, and this was like 40 years later, she said, the thing is, I wasn't a Jew. Now I am. She said. <laughs> so she said, I wasn't a Jew. I just wanted them to understand that they shouldn't be talking like that. And right. this is the only way that I could get the message across. And she ends up later on falling in love with a Jewish guy and she ends up converting to Judaism. And now she's part of the Jewish community. But I thought that was an incredible expression of, of allyship and solidarity. And like we're in this movement together and attacks on any one of us or is an attack on all of us. And you're, you were saying earlier, busy about how many people don't even know a Jew. And I remember after the 2016 election, we did a lot of work in the LA multi-faith community to try to figure out how to really strengthen these bonds of solidarity, knowing that the, knowing that they would be needed in the years ahead. Mm -hmm. And we had a big event in the um, Islamic center of Southern California here, which is a, a partner of ours in a lot of the multi-faith work. And there were a lot of uh, Latino clergy and um, and black pastors and rabbis and others were into in the Islamic center. And I will never forget this. Two, two people got up to speak. One said, I bet that many of you have never had tea with a Muslim. 
a Muslim woman from the Islamic Center, and she said, you don't know me, and I don't know you, and we need to actually know each other. And she said, call me, and I will have tea with you. I want you to have tea with a Muslim this year. That will be your act of solidarity. Like, Because once we get to know each other, we, mm. can't re- we can't read the news the same way because it's personal, because that's my friend. So number one is have tea with a Muslim, which I would say have tea with it too. You know? and, and like, we need to talk to each other and extend these bonds of connection. The second thing is that another person from the Islamic Center got up and he said to this room of, again, largely Latino pastors, and he said, we recognize that we're all vulnerable in this moment, but there are some people who are more vulnerable than others. There are people who are literally being threatened with deportation, with ICE deportations every day. And he said, I'm speaking especially to the Latino community. We reach out to you with arms of love and protection. We will be by your side. We are not abandoning you. They will not divide us. And for me, this was the formative moment of the last several years. This is the way that we respond to hatred, to racism, to bigotry, to white supremacy, to tyranny. The way that we respond is by actually getting to know each other, building relationships with each other, and then wrapping our arms of love and protection around our own families and around each other, because none of us can fight against this wave of tyranny alone, but together we can absolutely defeat this and actually dream of a different, of a sequel to this story that will subvert the original narrative, supremacist narrative, and instead allow us to imagine our children and grandchildren inheriting a world that's truly built on the foundations of love and justice. Oh my God, please, let's (laughs) do it, guys. Hiya! (laughs) You sounded pretty good, even though your, your voice is just returning. I know, but you know what I was taking. (laughs) <laughs> Were you taking your kids' vitamins again? Well, I wasn't, but I was giving them their vitamins so that they didn't get my weird sickness. Um, listen, because here's what I learned long ago, that children's vitamins are basically just candy, and there's lots of sugar in them, and the gummy ones get stuck in their teeth and then give them cavities, and then you're just like, I'm a bad parent. Right. And When you were trying to do the right thing. You're trying to do the right thing. You want to give your kids vitamins. You need to keep their immune systems boosted. They need, they have, there are gaps in their nutrition. Like they need a boost. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Haya is a delicious tasting vitamin for kids that is made with zero sugar, zero gummy junk, tastes great, is perfect for picky eaters. Even the Crix Elite one. (laughs) You know, it's a big deal. Yeah. Crix is discerning. It's formulated with the help of nutritional experts, pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies, and supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals, including vitamins D, B12, C, zinc, folate, and many others. Yeah, it basically fills in most of the most common gaps in modern children's diets, providing a full-body nourishment that kids need. And again, they're not reluctant to take it. So that's a good feeling as a parent. Also, it's like non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, everything else free you can imagine. Designed for kids of all ages, sent straight to your door. So you have one less thing to worry about when you're shopping. Yeah. Honestly, we love them. They come with a little bottle that's refillable. So it's like, it's good. You don't get that bottle every time. It comes with like a little sheet of stickers that your kids can decorate their own bottle, personalize their own bottle. 
or their body fun. is what because that's what I thought you were about to say. But and if they did, if they wanted to, they could. If you want to listen, guys, we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Just try it. We're heading into the season. People are going to get sick. Give your kids some vitamins. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim the deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash busy. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash busy and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into full body healthy adults. Hiya. Wild Grain, I love that you're paying us to do these, but you don't even have to. Just keep sending us those croissants and those cookies, and I will just keep talking about it on our podcast, but also thank you for paying us. <laughs> I just took out a fresh, hot sourdough out of the ah. oven. Oh my oh. God, the bread is so good. It was so good. And it only took 22 minutes while I was just doing the podcast. And then I put some butter on it and I ate it while you went to your meeting. Okay, guys, if you've missed us talk about wild grain before, I'm going to give you the real right now. Get on board immediately. It is the greatest thing. Here's the thing. I have a temperamental tummy. I really can't eat like normal bread from the store or whatever, because it's like not good. It's like filled with all kinds of weird stuff. And it makes me, it doesn't make me feel good. Right. Okay. But enter this wild grain company. Wild grain is the first bake from frozen box that arrives at your door for artisanal bread Pastries, rolls, even handmade pastas, which my kids are obsessed the pastas with. Pastas are so good. But the best part is that they use very clean ingredients, unbleached and non-GMO flour, and they utilize a slow sourdough fermentation process that is apparently healthier for you. And I mean, I know it tastes amazing, better than anything you can find in a grocery store. And when I tell you I do not have IBS from that warm, Pipe and hot bread coming out of the oven, and Bertie and I smear it with Nutella and sit down and watch the crown together. Is there anything better than it's- hot bread out the oven? The holiday season is coming. Wild Grain is featuring delicious new limited time sweet treats, pumpkin cinnamon rolls. Come on! Orange cranberry biscuits and chocolate avalanche croissants. I'm literally going to freak out right now. Casey, this is the realest any ad has been in a long time. You're getting emotional over the I possibility. I emo over <laughs> wild grain. I love this bread so much. I'm like, I've turned into Oprah. I'm yeah. like, it's bread. bread. I can eat bread. <laughs> my God, we got to get wild grain to Oprah. Casey, my God, we've got to do it. She deserves a box from us, a gift. Guys, here's the other thing. For every new member, Wild Grain donates six meals to the Greater Boston Food Bank. They've donated over 120,000 meals so far. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. And I am so excited about the holiday. Mom, don't order it. I'm literally, (laughs) my mother always like supports us and orders things from our ads. Mom, don't order it. I'm sending it to your house for Christmas. 
<laughs> with all the the seasonal limited edition oh sweet treats because that, that just is made like my the day. Day. I'm I swear to God, when I saw that, do you see me? I literally yes. just freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! I hope gosh. people listen to these ads all the way through because my God, <laughs> you get a lot of you get a lot of things that happen in these ads. Anyway, guys, are you hungry already? Are you ready to get into this wild grain life? I think you are. I think so. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash busy to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash busy. That's wildgrain.com slash busy or you can use code busy at the checkout. I also just I, I also just want to say guys I'm not going to make Rabbi Sharon get into it again but you should look at the Yom Kippur uh, sermon it starts it's about book burning a thing that we've talked about on this podcast and uh, and about and empathy and the empathy gap another thing we've talked about on this podcast and about how withholding these windows into other lives is the thing that is preventing people from being able to empathize because really, you know, reading beloved is having tea with, you know, a black woman. Yeah. Like I, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're having those experiences, all of those things offer insights into other cultures, other ways of living, right. other things, and and in turn, empathy. You're able well, to see yourself, your story, your Hasn't there been, like, a big study about people who read fiction are m- more empathetic than... Is that true? Yes. 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 yes, that's true. And, and I just want to say, I feel in this political culture of increasing violence and callousness and cruelty, it's our job to not just have political, you know, spiritual whiplash. Like we're getting tossed around and can you believe, and the trans bans and the don't say gay bill and the abortion Mm -hmm. bans and the Mm -hmm. book ban, but instead to take a beat and actually connect the dots between these movements. This is not a grassroots movement. This is a very well-funded, well-coordinated, far-right effort to control and contain the population. And we have to know what we're facing so that we can properly respond to it. And so I, I just, I really, I feel like take the step back for a moment to actually see what's going on and wonder why is it that 1,648 books were banned in the past year alone? It's not because all of these parents suddenly started to pay attention to their kids' syllabi. It's because there are people who are profiting off of this idea. And it's the same people behind a a lot of these efforts. And so I want us to connect the dots and then be very smart and strategic as as we create a counter force to the force that's actually working to suppress our empathy. And of course, that has to be a force of love because the, op- I mean, you, th- that's the only way to respond to a movement to callous our hearts is is to awaken our tender hearts and to engage with love toward one another. Their movement <sighs> only works because of fear because not everyone that's participating in this movement is profiting from it, but people are going along with it because they're afraid it only works when people are 
afraid. And so your call to counter it with love, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast. People only do things for one of two reasons, out of love or out of fear. Mm -hmm. And love is always the right reason to do anything. And fear is always the wrong reason to do anything. Not, I mean, a healthy sense of fear is helpful. Don't get into a car with a strange man. Exactly. Exactly. We got that. that, We we can use our fear there. But using fear to protect you from something that hasn't happened, has never happened, will never happen, is not a way to live your life, Um, I guess is is what I'm hearing. Um, Can I ask you one question before we let you get on with your day? I know, because we've already taken more time. We've already taken up twice as long as we said that we would. I Um, love being with you. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you. What, like, I don't know how many of our listeners are particularly religious. Um, I don't know how many of our listeners are Jewish. We don't have, we don't have those figures. But I do, I do think that everyone here has to almost 100% be pretty faithful in some way, just because of like what we talk about every week. And I want to ask you in times like this, how do do you remain faithful rather than discouraged? How do you remain faithful and hopeful that what that you're at doing— the midterms, That the midterms aren't going to be a complete disaster, disaster. and <laughs> stolen and whatever, you know, our democracy well, ended. I mean, at first I think, and, and many people have said this before me, but I think there's a difference between hope and optimism, <laughs> And so mm-hmm. even when I'm not terribly optimistic, I can remain hopeful. And mm-hmm. hope is actually about being able to project uh, into the far future sometimes and imagine that there's a different possibility ahead. And core to my faith is the practice of Shabbat, um, the idea that every single week, no matter what's happening in the world and no matter what's happening in my work, in this, uh, in, in our community, and no matter what's happening in my life, that every single week we engage time in a different way, that we move out of the world as it is and we allow ourselves to envision the world as it could be. And that happens every single Friday night when the sun sets. And so I'm off my devices and there's no phone, there's no internet, there's no computer. My ki- my teenage kids, like we're all offline. And, in- and something happens to the psyche that allows you to remove yourself enough from the world as it is that you can actually imagine a different kind of possibility. And so for me, that's very much at the heart of my faith. And our tradition says, it says in the Torah, um, that that six days a week, you do the work of the world. And then on the seventh day, that's a day of holiness. That's a day in which we embrace our faith, a day for, for God. And so I actually believe that that's the way that we that, that that's the way that we both live in, as Dr. King would say, the fierce urgency of now, while also acknowledging that the arc of the moral universe is long mm. and ultimately has to bend toward justice. Has but it's to. long and it's not just going to be about these midterms. And I will do everything in my power to, you know, to try to have the best possible outcome in these midterms. But the midterms are not the end game, right? right? The midterms are one stop. And so even if we lose badly in the midterms, I'm just going to pick up the next day and start the fight again. Because Mm -hmm. ultimately what we're fighting for is a beloved community. The beloved community is a 
is a society that's rooted in love and justice in which all people live in equity, in a just and equitable society, and human dignity is real. Now, that is not going to happen no matter what the outcome is in the midterms. It's not right. going to happen in the immediate. That <laughs> right. is a long-term vision. Right. There's a lot of immediate work that we have to do to help us plant the seeds so that that long-term vision can be realized. So that's how I hold, the, my, that's how my faith is actually at the heart of, of my engagement every day, because I understand that that part of hope is is allowing myself to believe in a different set of outcomes than the immediate outcomes that appear before me. So even on a bad election night, I still hold in my heart the possibility that things are going to be better uh, the next day. And I get back into the trenches and start working again. Oh my God. I love it. And that's such a, an amazing thing to end on. And guys, I'm going to call it back to the very beginning of this podcast two years ago, because Rabbi Sharon, I think you're going to appreciate it. My favorite quote is actually from the Talmud, and I gave it to our listeners many, many years ago. You are not obligated to complete the work, nor are you free to abandon it. Is that basically it? You got it. (laughs) (laughs) So we're not. We can't. We're just going to keep showing up and keep showing up for that. The sequel, the, the promise of a subversive sequel. I love it. Thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. I'm going to cry. I, um, <laughs> I really appreciate it so much. And um, you really uh, helped me to remain hopeful. Thank you. Thank you so much for what you do. And uh, love to see you both in person sometime. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. okay. I'll be back someday. Count on it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rabbi Sharon. All right. Bye. Thank, Thank you. Thank be you. well. <laughs> Great. I know. You know what is actually, um, I kind of had like a weird epiphany. Maybe it's the microdosing talking. Um, but I kind of had like a weird epiphany over like my nervousness and my anxiety over the midterms where I was like, you know, I'm not an anarchist, but like our government is ultimately like a construct that we operate under and it just uh you know you bringing up like nervousness over the midterms i am hopeful over the midterms i am also distrustful of everything that we're seeing coming out of polling because polling has been so untrustworthy over the last many years um and and over this time that this this wild historic time has been has been growing, but ultimately, like, what I do day in, day out is outside of government. It's Isn't so far change. out. It's yeah. it's outside of government. That's right. Everything I do is political, but politics and being political and government are really three separate things. Right. Do you understand what I'm yeah. saying? Am yeah, I being of course. Like, you know, so like we're it ungovernable. It does also sound a little mushroomy. It does. It's so mushroomy. I'm gonna but take I love my, it. I'm going to take my mushroom right now because I didn't want to take it before talking to the rabbi, but I'm going to take it now and then you can see like what weird shit I'm saying by the end of this time. But um, I just feel like the I operate outside of the government – Every day, and I can make small individual choices and adjustments that are about how I want the world to be and how I want to live 
And like, yes, we live under a government, but for the most part, 99% of what I do every day isn't, isn't determined by the government, you know, and everything I do is political because I'm a woman and because I am trying so hard to be a good ally to other oppressed and marginalized people. Um, And so that is political, but it's not politics. Politics, I'm realizing, is a business. Just like a business. I mean, here's the thing, you know, Arizona's governor race is insane uh because there's a woman named katie hobbs who's running right uh as a democrat and then there's a complete lunatic named carrie lake that got the republican nomination right who's getting a lot of press who's getting all the coverage all the name recognition because she is literally a loon who's doing such performative weird backbends she was like that she's getting all of this. They're, they're doing it. They're just right. doing it. They're the right. media, the press, the national attention. And Katie Hobbs, I just read this thing yesterday that somebody was posting that they're like, people are upset that Katie Hobbs isn't like, uh, doing more outrageous things to like get, attention and they're afraid that people won't show up for her because of that. And it's like, guys, excuse me. (laughs) Like, what are you saying? Do you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. If, if people don't look at this batshit, crazy performative weather person, Carrie Lake, who's right. running for like Trump sycophant. Right. And that doesn't motivate them. Like I, I would take, honestly, I-, I would take little Bob as the mayor, <laughs> as the governor of Arizona right. over Carrie Lake. Like I would right. show up and vote for literally anyone else if I lived in Arizona. And I hope that like, Arizonans, Arizonians are kind of like the ones who aren't MAGA are kind of like with it enough to understand that like that's, those are the stakes. This is an election denier. Arizona holds a very important place in the national presidential election. Right. Like this lady cannot be in office. And I ho- I really believe, I know Arizona has the numbers for good. And I really believe that people will show up whether or not Katie Hobbs decides to like jump through Carrie Lake's hoops and like debate her on a, she, she, she said she didn't want to do a debate because she's like, you can't debate with crazy. By the way, Katie Hobbs is obviously very smart. I, I'm like, agree with her. Like all you, all you're going to do is it's going to be a three, you're going to give into the three ring circus of Carrie right. Lake. Right. Right. Well, it's undeniable that this is the playbook. I mean, this is the playbook. Say anything. Doesn't matter if it's true. Uh, well, that's why I also just want to say to y'all listening, if any of your friends or families are like, 
oh, this Republican person said that they've softened their stance on abortion. They haven't. They have not. They it's have a, not. That's a lie. That is a lie. Remember this back is to the lie. Supreme Court this is confirmations. Do not allow your friends and family to say that these people have softened their stances because I am telling you one thing. It is not a true. fucking lie. Because if they really had softened their position on abortion, the anti-abortion people would be going after them really hard right now. Right, right. And they are not. And therefore, this is another page out of the playbook, guys. And we just, I need people to like understand that this election, you cannot vote for your tax breaks if you are a person who's like, I'm fiscally conservative. I don't care. Your husband, I don't care. You got to like talk to everyone you know. This is it. This is it. It's crunch time. It's what we would call during Thanksgiving, the half an hour before when you take the turkey out of the oven and you let it rest for half an hour. You're getting the gravy going. You go in immediately into crunch time. Yeah. And crunch time is the most volatile moment in a kitchen. Yeah. It's where the it's where the fights will happen. It's non essential uh, personnel needs to vacate. Get the fuck out of there and do not stand in front of the oven. <laughs> this is where, honestly, this is where a glass gets broken. Yep. This is where a fight happens. This is where someone cuts a thumb. Yep. Crunch time I've is had real. All of this happen. It is real. It is not to be trifled with. And this is crunch time. And the this turkey is, is out of the oven. Crunch time. Turkey's, turkey's out. out. Wow. God, how fucking amazing is that, Rabbi? She's so great and she's so warm and welcoming. And I like, feel- do we don't even need to edit any of that? No, no, it was perfect. It the was perfect. whole thing was fucking perfect. She had everything. And I'm so grateful to her for coming to talk to us. Uh, I was really struck by what, you know, what she said about continuing to talk to people because that's like a conversation, you know, that we've had a lot about how it is, um, it's not someone's job to educate someone else. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not, it's not a a marginalized person's job to educate someone from an, uh, I don't want to say an oppressive group, but from someone who looks like people who are oppressing people. You know what I mean? I'm saying white people. I'm saying white people. I'm saying white white men and mostly white straight men. And uh, And the women who. Yeah. And the women who. Uphold the power because. Yeah. Because they're they're They feel at least they're safe. Right. To it. So white supremacists. Patriarchy, yeah, you're not, you're not. Um, but it, so it's nobody's job to educate. But I really do admire when someone's like, you know what, I, I feel like I could crack this nut. I feel like I could, and it would be worthwhile. It's interesting, and obviously, I'm gonna say something. That guy was a high value target. That was a high value nut to crack because of his family history and his access and platform to say, hey, this one person taught me that everything that my important family had fed me throughout my entire life was bullshit. So here I am. He was right. I've learned. I'm saying it. You know, um, and and so maybe 
I don't know, did that play into that man's decision to continually invite someone who many of us would have written off as a bigot uh, over and over to into his life and to, you know, to risk his own peace? Because we have to protect our own peace. I know. Sometimes the labor's hard. But like, I I mean, really, for all of us, like sometimes, I mean, this is what I'm saying to all of you. Like, do you think it was easy for me to sit across new parents when we had just moved to this fucking city? And it's like the only people that have like invited us over because it's a pandemic and we, our kids are in the same pool at school or whatever. And we sat in the backyard and I literally looked at these people and I was like, I have to tell you something. This is a deal breaker for me. Right. I know you work in finance. Right. If you're voting, if you're planning on voting for Trump in November, I cannot continue this friendship. Right. That's where I'm coming from. Right, right. It is so important to me in this moment to protect the people I love and the people I don't know around me that I'm willing to say, The charcuterie is nice, (laughs) but I will be on my fucking way. Right. But now, you know, uh, now after hearing the rabbi, I'm like, is it worth it sometimes to come back for the charcuterie and a fight? You know? Well, we had a conversation, but like we did have a conversation about it. Yeah. Because he, because remember, because the guy was, the husband was like, I'm just going to sit this one out. And I was like, that's not good enough. You can't do that. Right. You know? And like, we got into a whole thing. And by the way, like, I do feel like, you know, his wife and I are still good friends and I love him. He's great. And I do feel like she said things to me, like your activism is really inspiring. Like, I think it's really impressive how outspoken you are. I I get so concerned about my business. And I'm like, there are ways to do it. There are ways like you can protect what you think you need to protect and still be able to show up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And And also, sometimes it's worth risking your business because it's worth it. Because not everything is about dollars and cents. Uh, But I know that a lot of you listening have, a lot of you have written in about your family group chats. And and obviously, you have to protect yourselves. But I was really inspired by the rabbi saying, sometimes it's worth having the conversation if you have it in you. Um, doesn't mean you're going to change anything, but you might. And also, like all of us, let's be, let's take also what Rabbi Sharon said about that Shabbat time. Like, you know, they, she takes from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, no devices, takes a break. I'm not saying you have to like go full Shabbat, guys. I am saying <laughs> that there is something really soul fulfilling about resetting yourself. And maybe, I I mean, I kind of want to start Shabbat. I kind of want to start doing Shabbat. Yeah, I think that would be great. I think I'd have to figure out how to put that note on your phone so that it's like, (laughs) and then, and not spam people like Ray did. Right, right. But like, like I am, I am away and we'll be back after sundown tomorrow. Yes. But maybe it's not even like, it doesn't even have to be that deep. You know what I mean? Like maybe you can like take a Friday night off, plug your phone in and then like take it off. Leave it in the other room. Just leave it in. That's what I mean. Plug it in. Plug plug it in 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 the other room. Go away. I do it all the time. I really, I I, I I like, I just have had to. And it's funny because no one ever calls me for anything. Like I, I sometimes feel like that and 
throughout my life, but particularly over the past few years, the only time someone ever messages me about something important is when I've left my phone. Stop. So it, it's true. I'm not even You know, you. well, that's the big thing. Like if you ever, my mom used to say as a real estate agent, you know, who's like works on commission and like new, yeah. whatever. She's like, I know for a fact, the only way I'm going to get a contract on that house is if I book a vacation that can't be refunded. <laughs> It's true. And for a while, like when I was like, you know, more of a struggling actress or whatever, my mom would be like, well, busy, you know what you have to do. Book a trip somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think in many ways it's true, but also nothing terrible has ever happened to me as a result of unplugging, to be honest. It just seems to bring that energy of, I need to talk to Casey energy when I've rarely done it, but it's, it's fine. I'm fine and better for it. Totally. Because like, what is your, you know, what is your recharging? What is your personal recharging? What is your piece worth versus like someone offering you like a thousand dollars to do a job that should cost $10,000. You know what I mean? Like it's some job mm-hmm. that's going to make you nuts and stretch on for weeks. And you're going to say yes to it. Cause you really need that thousand dollars, but also, you're getting screwed on it and you should laugh in the person's face, whatever. Like, I'm missing that text. Fine. Fine. Yeah. You know? Well, and then you actually get to return to your phone with the perspective of what that text means. If it hits you in a moment that you're like feeling vulnerable because you're already like frayed because you're on your phone all the time. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. You're not as able to sort of have a big picture. Yeah. I think it's important. I think we should all try to do it, guys. I think I think it's really smart. And I don't think this I'm not like kidding myself that this is some vast conspiracy or whatever. It's just the way the world has sort of turned, but I think we have to limit access to ourselves. And this people is people don't of us. get like like so upset or whatever if they can't get a hold of us. Right. Right. Because right. like, that's the other thing. Like I've had to like honestly do that for myself too. Like call myself on it. Like, okay, so this person didn't text me back in four and a half minutes. Right. Right. Um that's okay. Yeah. Like nothing is gonna happen. You know what I mean? Like nothing is like life or death. Yes. But because by the way, very few things are life or death. Literally only life and death are life and death. That's it. That That's is the only thing. Le- legitimately the <laughs> only thing that is life or death. I have to be so bad because I've been drinking so much tea. Oh, okay. So go I'm going to go pee. Go pee. Listen, we are all doing our best to try to... Be as environmentally aware as possible. Yes. Make the changes big and small. Make the small changes where we can. Eliminate waste. Eliminate plastic containers. We hate plastic containers. So enter Concha. Did you know that traditional liquid shampoos are like 90% water? I did know that. It's kind of unnecessary when you think about the fact that you're in water when you use the product. <laughs> right. And so you're that paying is a lot of money water for a heavily for diluted yeah. ingredient that you're then going to put on in more water. And it requires a ton of plastic packaging. 
a ton and shipping and it's heavy. Yeah. Because it's like, it's so that's, the shipping is actually maybe even worse. The heaviness of the shipping, because that's like what causes like all the fuel and like right, all the right. fossil fuels and everything. Okay. You could go on and on, but that's where I Concha could. comes in. Concha came up with this idea. They've made these solid shampoo and conditioner stones. It's way more eco-friendly and it honestly works great. Yeah. And by the way, they look kind of cool and they smell great. They smell amazing. Yeah. It's kind of cool to have these two like stone looking things in your shower instead of like an ugly old crusty bottle. A bunch of ugly bottles with pumps that don't work. (laughs) I love them. And they make like little miniature stones, which I'm really excited for to take traveling because then I don't have to count them in my liquids one quart Ziploc. I can just toss them in my bag and Bob's your uncle, I guess is what they say. Yeah. And you know that female founded is something we love. But of course, a woman came up with this idea because it's brilliant. Um. Co-founder Nicole Brown struggled to find products that were eco-friendly and high performance. She was a stylist and a creative director and educator. She set out to create it for herself. She spent three years formulating clean salon quality hair products without any water waste or plastic waste. They're crafted by hand in small batches at her lab in Portland. Guys, come on. Doesn't get better than that. Each full-sized stone saves four plastic bottles from landfills and lasts over 100 washes. That's amazing. Also, by the way, kids love them. I'm just going to say it. Yeah, they're fun. They are fun. They're totally (laughs) fun. Plus, there's no sulfates, phthalates, parabians, or silicones. Also known as phthalates, parabians. Whatever, phthalates. Phthalates, parabens, or silicones, 100% vegan. Obviously. Guys, these are chic. They're ergonomic. You're going to love them. They leave your hair looking healthy and nourished and clean without feeling stripped. And right now you can try them out. Right now, Concha is offering our listeners 15% off your purchase. Elevate your shower ritual by heading to concha.life. That's C-O-N-S-C-I-A dot life. And use our code Best 15 for 15% off your order. Again, that's concha.life, C-O-N-S-C-I-A dot life with code BEST15. Just really all about gifts today. Yes. Like we're Oprah and we (laughs) do our favorite things. And so many of our favorite things are things that we advertise on this podcast, like Framebridge. Yeah. Framebridge is one of my favorite things. I love it so much. Yeah, because how many things do you have around your house that you're like, oh, that would look so cute hanging up on the wall. That's such a special memento. And you either just have it laying out or like stuffed away in a box for quote unquote one day when you get around to doing something with it. Also, have you ever gone to like a custom framing store? Oh my God. I've almost passed out at the quote for how much something costs at a framing store. I mean, do you understand that it's like $4 billion <laughs> to get a poster framed? <laughs> it's Has so, anyone ever told you it's $4 billion? Because it is. It's so expensive. It's and then, so insane. And you're like, why? If you what try are to go you the, doing? 
if you try to go the economic route and find like a pre-made frame, it, it's they're ugly weird sizes or they're ugly and they're not made well. The thing you bought it for doesn't fit and you're trying to make it work and you sometimes wind up I just, just frustrated. Pre-frame bridge, I would just like go for ugly because I just was like, I cannot like with a good conscience spend four billion dollars <laughs> framing this poster you know what i mean it's a lot it's, it's a, a lot. lot but framebridge is amazing because they measure and handcraft each frame specifically to your piece you can like literally framebridge anything selfies game day jerseys anniversary dinner menus literally art that your anything. kid made yeah. whatever Whatever. If you don't live in an air in a place where there is a Framebridge store, basically you just go to framebridge.com and you can straight up upload your photo right. and they will like print it out for you and frame it and send it along, which heads up guys, again, for grandparents, this is the best, easiest way to send school pictures, pictures of your kids, pictures of kids with Santa at set to your in-laws and parents and family members, everyone loves a FrameBridge delivery. FrameBridge is one of those things that makes me feel very together because I can yeah. easily frame anything from yes. the house. And I just feel like so adult and together when I'm able to easily send off a gift to someone and but he, it's presented professionally and it looks chic and it's not expensive. Here's the other thing I want to say to you, guys, if you're listening at home and you're like, you guys are all over the place. Um, if you have a physical thing that you need to frame, Framebridge will send you a complimentary package to safely put your piece in to mail it to them and they take care of the rest. Yeah. Couldn't be You easier. get to preview it in dozens of frame styles. You can choose your favorite. They've got people that will help you if you want help. The experts at Framebridge custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece right to your door or even better. The gift, the person's door. Right. This just goes right to them. You don't even have to pay for shipping of that. It, it just goes straight simpler. there. This yeah. is what I'm saying. Framebridge starts at $39 plus and free shipping, by the way. That's where it's at. Framebridge <laughs> starts at $39. No longer do you have to spend $4 billion to frame a poster. We love it so much. I have literally everything in this house is framebridged. Yeah. Guys, you got to do it. Frame your photos. Send someone the perfect gift at framebridge.com. That's framebridge.com. We love it. We love it. We love it. We love you, Framebridge. Some healthy damn pee. <laughs> it's basically water. Um, um, that's good. Yeah. And I also just think like... Even not even just people, but like I've been really taking a look at like apps or like, is it okay for us to notify you? Like all the and I'm like, no, no. Like, what could you need to notify me about that socks are on sale? I'll be okay without that. I just well, they really think, get you because they if you want a discount. Right. Right. For your order, then you like agree to be notified, but then you right. have to remember to unsub. Right. But here's what I've learned. The discounts always come back. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. they can always be found. And if it's not the right time to buy socks, it's not mm -hmm. the right time to buy socks. But I mm -hmm. really don't need a text uh, yeah. 
And I certainly don't need a text and an email because I just need to protect my peace. I need to not be spoken to constantly by sock sellers, you know? Oh, my God. No. Especially sock sellers. Yeah. Because I just – we have – a limited amount of time and care that we can spend on things. And I'd rather spend them on like what we've been talking about today. I'd rather Mm -hmm. spend them on my family and my friends and all of you who are listening uh, because you have a limited amount of time. And so I appreciate the time that we spend together. And so I've really been looking at that about like just – making myself like less available. And it's so wild in this world. I'm just a regular person. And it's so wild how people are so available to like, just be well exposed, you know, you're exposed Mm -hmm. to just anyone coming into your inbox and saying whatever they want, anyone forwarding you something, any brand texting you whatever and your family's like group chat mine is delightful but i know some of yours are uh are difficult and you know so you do have to you do have to like shore yourself up a little bit against that in my opinion really really do i got i want to give you guys a giving circles update that we got this morning um through our podcast guys over 70 active giving circles in all. You guys have raised over $85,000 collectively so far. That's incredible, you guys. You should be so proud of yourselves. We cannot stress how incredible and impactful that is. This is the power of the collective here. Um, these are the last days for the giving circles. Monday, the fundraising uh... deadline is Monday. At 11.59 p.m. PT. So why don't, I, I feel like we could get it to 100,000 over before Monday. You think? Like if we really pushed it. Okay. Okay. So, you know, we'll post something on socials if you have okay. been tuned out and you're like a last minute person. And if you're a person who hasn't donated yet to someone's giving circle, you can donate to my giving circle. I'll be posting it all weekend. Yeah. And we'll share it on the show's Instagram. And so yeah. let's just, let's get our collective up over $100,000 before mm-hmm. the deadline. On- I liked that you were going to two. I liked that you were like fucking $200,000. <laughs> I thought that was <laughs> That's baller, dude. I think we should do two. Two hundred. I think you really okay. fucking did it. Okay. Let's try, guys. Come on. <laughs> come on. It's just math. We don't all have to give two hundred thousand dollars. I don't even have one hundred thousand dollars to my name right now. <laughs> but it's all turning around because it's all energy and it's gonna come back. <laughs> well, it's also like talk about constructs, right? Damn, have we learned a lot about like the framing of things? Totally, totally. I mean, people are framing things to us all the time. You need this. You can afford this. You can do this. You can't afford not to do this. Do you know what we can't afford not to have? Democracy. This is what I'm saying. (laughs) This is what I'm saying. So, like, was I going to buy myself a new pair of sneakers? Yeah, I'll buy them for you. I'll buy them for you. No, you. I don't. Do you want know you that to buy- I? Do you know that I 
accidentally already bought you a Christmas present. Oh, accidentally. Yeah. It's a long story. I'll tell you when you get it. Okay. But the biggest goal in my life right now is not to lose it before <laughs> So Christmas. it's tiny? No, it's not. Oh, my God. But also, I think you know me. <laughs> you know what I mean? That is hilarious. Just because well, it's not tiny doesn't mean it can't be lost or yeah. like thrown away or whatever. Or, you know like, what I mean? Yeah, put into storage or something. Sure. Something. Sure. One year, my mom like went, she Christmas shopped so early and uh-huh. she like found these amazing deals on all of it. these things, like really sweet gifts for like my cousins and stuff. But it was also so early. And my mom, like, bless her, like, her car is a little messy sometimes. Like, she kind of lived out of her car when she was working. And she just went ham and, like, cleaned her car and threw out all the Christmas presents (laughs) that – because they were, like, in bags. I don't know. She was on one. She was on one. She was on one. And I just felt so bad. And uh, I was like – but also at the time, I was like, I'm not sure I could see myself ever doing something like that. But that's just me. But I could 100% see myself doing Doing something like that now as an adult. Uh, oh, I've thrown who- out jewelry before on accident. <laughs> oh, <no>. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the adult equivalent of throwing out your retainer. So many retainers in so many high school trash cans. Oh my God. You put it in a napkin. I threw out my Invisalign, but it was no big deal because you just get new one the next week. So I just went back to the old one and, you know. Wait, I was using a sauna and got a massage at that spa like last week or a week and a half ago Uh and I fully threw my amazing vintage Tori Amos concert tee into the thing with all of the towels oh no they got it back for me they got it back oh thank god yes but like yeah it was just like I'm just like (laughs) oh my gosh wait should we go through our our list let's do our list we kind of already talked about Kanye here's the one thing that I want to say about Mm. before the anti-semitism Kanye also um went on Tucker Carlson and sort of like talked about it was so long ago now it's like another lifetime ago it's weird talked about Lizzo and like the media not talking about her so weird and said so that it was weird. demonic or whatever. And he also said, my good friend Lizzo, which I get the impression <sighs> that Lizzo like, doesn't think of Kanye as like, a good friend. She's like, um, absolutely not. Anyway, sir. I just would like to point out Kanye is fat. Like he's struggled <laughs> with his, I mean. He's probably I, on a Zempic now, right? Like I don't, uh, I Elon don't Musk. even fucking know what and like no shade to them if that's what they're doing no I know but I'm just saying that's their business but Kanye West himself is fat no one ever talks about it he struggled with his weight his mother died having a procedure done because of like the hate that society makes us have well for our bodies I mean okay but now are we you know what I mean like unpack that. You know what I mean? Like well, unpack yes. it like one and a half layers. It's, yes, it's not no. even that deep. Yes, He's not, it's that, not deep. that deep. That's the thing is like right. none of this shit is that deep. Also, but it is, but it is. Mm-hmm. It's not deep, but it is dangerous. It's not deep, but it's dangerous. And Do you know what I mean? Fucking cuts deep. Yeah, and- it cuts deep and it's and like I just mean it's not deep. Like his motivation for any of right. it it's isn't fairly deep. transparent. It's and transparent, obvious. and his. I don't. I actually just want to stop talking about him. I don't care. 
<laughs> I'm serious. I do. I do. Yeah. I I think he's. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, Kanye. Well, I'm done. You're deleted. Deleted from my musical library. <laughs> I think that's. Uh, yeah, Lizzo. Congrats on a run of amazing shows. Uh, people are having the time of their lives. I'm seeing in my feed everyone going to see you in every city. And uh, everyone's obsessed with you, obviously. Can't stop talking about everything about you. So congratulations on that. Uh, That's that's the real story there. Um, The only story. That's the only story from that incident. Um, Wait, should we go back to our list? What's our list? Yeah, yeah. Here are things that we want to talk about. The Try Guys are still processing the trauma of Ned cheating on his wife. Why? Guys. I don't, I mean, we're it's done. like, we're, we're done, Try Guys. Like, you know, they're, again, Try Guys, I mean, massively I, one of my popular. Friends, one of my friends literally said, like, re- read me a quote and was like, I did not feel that way when my father cheated on my mom and left her. Busy, that, that was me. I tweeted that. Oh. <laughs> I didn't feel that way. I wasn't that upset when my dad cheated on my mom when I was 10, is what I said. Yeah, guys. <laughs> uh, well, good. I saved you from having to quote yourself. <laughs> I did Thank it for you. you. I was like, one of my friends, I don't know who, she's a genius. <laughs> she's an absolute fucking that. gem and a I genius. I love that. That's and so she funny. said, I can't remember. <laughs> That um, it's just, it's such a weird thing because I think they exist, you know, kind of in that way where you uh, have to explain to people who Mr. Beast is. Right, like, right, right. you know, they're massively popular. They exist in some other universe that we're not, like, I'm I'm semi-aware of who the Try Guys are. Like, they did, like, BuzzFeed videos where they put on the period cramps simulator and it's funny to watch guys be like, ah, that hurts my tummy. But um, the fact that this whole, like, subculture existed and that people are so, like, Loyal to them and people are so But rocked. are they or is this just their, is this their thing? Like this is like when Mark and I were getting divorced and we're like, I'm like, I cannot do the thing where I like, we put some joint statement up on our Instagrams that is like so cringe. Like it makes me feel like I'm like, my life as a book you know what I mean or whatever. Like it's like, I know everyone is deeply invested in my life. You know right. what I mean? Well, I mean, it's I so guess fucking weird when you build your brand on that kind of like it, it in a way calls for that or like you feel like you should do that because that right. you're if Listen. you're trying to like save the brand, you but know, I well, ish. or continue I, evolve the brand. I just am like. Guys, your life a brand, though, <laughs> guys, guys, cool it. I just want them to cool their jets. Yeah, it's a bummer. Like cheating is a bummer. And like I am here for like calling out douches who cheat and thinking it's not a big deal. But it does sort of feel like they're, you know, trying to distance themselves. Oh, my God. By the way, not fumble the bag. But did you see that like singer Rex Orange County who was charged with like sexual misconduct? Oh, I did see a headline about that. I literally texted to Mark and I was like, I had a gut feeling. I was like, I don't trust that guy. I don't trust that guy. I don't like the music. I don't trust it. I don't trust it. I was never on board. I was like, something's off. Something is off. Because you know what? (laughs) I could tell. I think you have to listen to your gut. I also never was a fan of Woody Allen's. 
even when I was a kid. Can and I everybody be real? Was like, Woody Allen is the best. And I was Can like, Can I be real? There's vibes. Hard same. Hard yeah. same. Never liked Woody Allen. Although I did have a meeting with him once. Oh, did you? Ooh, how did that go? It was so weird. And I'll just have to make it a chapter in the next book. Okay. All right. Yeah. What a weird thing. It was I never had a meeting with Woody very Allen. Very bizarre. I also felt weird about Ezra Miller. I don't know why. I just felt like when I, when everybody was like a big fan, I was like, I just feel vibes from him, which I, I know isn't right. Well, I know, you know. I don't know. I don't know. I think if you're a person like us, if you're people like us, guys, we've been doing the Oprah work for years. We've been doing hard things with Glennon Doyle in closets, trying to get connected with ourselves. Right. Do you know what I mean? I think that from childhood, especially our, women of our generation, we're told to ignore our gut feelings about right. things. And reclaiming that piece of yourself is important. Case in point, I feel like maybe I've told this story before. If I haven't, okay. A friend of mine went to the movie movies by herself years ago, many, many years ago, like 11 a.m. on a weekday, whatever, was super excited. A man came in and sat down on in her row, a couple seats away from her. She had the vibe. Right. But because... Honestly, he was a person of color and she didn't want to it to see like she literally was like, I don't want to seem appear like that I'm moving because he's a person of color. Right. So she shut her vibe down and then he fully fucking masturbated. Uh yeah. And like put, whipped his dick out and was mad. She looked over it like really early, you know, and he was like over there doing it. Oh my God. For, I guess you that's know, best case scenario for what he could have done. But still. Correct. But not all great. I'm saying and she picked is that, up on like, that vibe. Yeah. She picked up, she immediately had the vibe. The hair, yeah. she said, the hair on the back of my neck. And I was like, ugh, that's weird. But didn't want to seem rude. Right. Didn't want to seem. And I'm just saying, like, here's the thing. She took the extra step of being like, wait, is it because he is a person of color? I'm not kidding. Right. And that I think is important. I do that. I check myself all the fucking time with vibes. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, am I having this vibe because I'm like, actually, this is my spidey sense? Or am I having this vibe because of an ingrained, like, prejudice or belief that, like, I'm not thrilled about, but, like, does exist in me and I have to, like, continually check and fight to get over? Because right. those do fucking exist. I've had that. I've had that exact fucking thing happen to me before when I've realized, oh, no, no, no this is a vibe right. or, Oh no, no, no. Actually busy. I think you're just being like a little bit like you're ingrained. Right. You know, prejudices. Right. And it's, it's kind of interesting, right? Because we just had that talk with the rabbi and talking about, well, like the thing that I like to say, don't do anything out of fear, do it out of love, which I think this is the, this is the, um, the situation where like, well, okay, sometimes a vibe could be categorized as fear, but it also could be categorized as like love for yourself or the people around you. And you're not trying to like turn around and ruin anyone's life. She didn't turn around and confront him, but she could have like out of love for herself, taken herself out of the situation. Just the same as like, if you get a vibe that someone's acting weird in your school, like you could 
you could categorize that as fear, but it's also like love for everyone that you go to school with to say like, I'm concerned. I'm about concerned this and I've seen some things and like, can we look into it? And so, you know, it's, we are given a lot of conflicting messaging on that, but I do know I mean, I do know for a fact that a lot of people have regretted like not listening to their gut. Right. But I'm my only point is that like if you are like actively doing like and as a white person, I'm just speaking as a white yeah. cis lady here. If you're actively doing work, anti-racist work in your life where you're like thinking about choices you make and things that you're, you know what I mean? Yeah. You can you can you can honor both things. You can honor your gut and also check yourself and then honor your gut. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. it's it's possible. It's not like it's just that's the thing. Like life is we all we know this. Like life exists in these gray areas, you yeah. know? Yeah. But but your intuition and your gut, like I feel very strongly about being in connection with that, especially as a woman and especially as a mother. Yeah. And I think you gotta like, cause the, because honestly, you know, maybe you'll never know. Right. Like if my friend like got up and left, like she never would have known if that her spidey sense had been right. 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 But she would have protected herself and like not have had that kind of really gross thing that like deeply upset her and kind of ruined one of the, favorite things that she loved doing, which was going, taking herself to a movie at 11 a.m. Right. You know? Right. Well, it's the, it's, it's interesting listening to your gut. It, it never really hurts anyone. That's what I'm saying. You know, it, it's what you do, what your choices are as a result of listening to your gut sometimes where I guess it could get into a dicey situation. But it's like this, I think we've had this conversation on the podcast, but I was also talking to Tina Fey about in our chat in Duluth, which is that, you know, I think someone asked her if she had any regrets, um, if she ever regretted anything that she'd she'd uh, written or whatever. And she said that there were definitely jokes that were put onto shows that she wouldn't do now, um, which I think that's anyone that's ever made a TV show probably 100% feels that way. And so we were talking about how that's why it's so important to have other voices uh, in your room, in your writer's room on a show, and why being the voice sometimes who stands up and says, like, this probably isn't a good idea. It's such a thankless position to be in on any TV show, to be like that voice that speaks up. Um, because either people listen to you grudgingly and they're annoyed that you like took their fun away or they don't listen to you. You're proven right. And then they're like, you know, it's just annoying to have to look at your face when you feel like that person is, you know, having like, and I told you so face about what they told you not to do and you chose to do it anyway. But that's also, you know, in life, it's kind of thankless to listen to your gut because you will never know if you did the right thing. But I think you have to honor that you did the right thing for yourself in the moment. And, you know, and that's enough. That's enough that you gave I yourself. That's, that's what I think. That's what I think. Um. Okay. Let's go through this list more. Okay. Back to the list. 
back to the list. Is it annoying oh. that we're like going down a list? I think it's just a different way of doing things. We're just okay, trying great. to because I felt like I keep feeling like, oh, I wanted to talk about this thing. I didn't talk mm-hmm. about this thing. Um I we can skip that one. Okay. We can skip that one. <laughs> um oh, I had my face lasered off yesterday. Yes. Kind of felt good. Yes, I saw that. You look um like you look <clears throat> Great today. No red. Yeah, no red face. That's what they say. No downtime with this this thing. It's called Great. the Clear and Brilliant Laser, guys. I'm not getting paid. Although Clear and Brilliant, if you're listening, I am tech avail. <laughs> and I would I always take some money and or some free treatments. Thank you. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Did you see my chocolate chip cookie purse? Yes. And did you see that that brand has a leopard purse with a banana on it? I didn't want you to see that. And I knew I was risking it (laughs) by posting it. But if you don't think that I'm not already on the list for that fucking banana purse for you, you're out of your goddamn mind. These purses are hilarious. They're by this, uh, they're by this label here based in New York called Puppets and Puppets, which also is just like a bizarro, perfect kind of creepy name. And I love it. Yes. Um, and you guys know I'm not buying things. I can't buy things. <clears throat> but they released their new, they released the photo on, I follow them on Instagram. They released yeah. the photo of all their new purses with plastic food on them. <laughs> and they sell them at like Nordstrom. I've seen them at Nordstrom. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, I they posted their new thing and I just was like, almost in tears. I'm like, I want it all, you know? And I, and I respond, I like commented yeah. and I just happened to be resting my voice in bed. And the person from puppets and puppets was like, DM'd me and was like, Hey, can I send you one? I would love to. And I was like, this is the best day of my fucking life. Just guys, to be clear, I Try to get free shit a lot sometimes. Well, not sometimes. Sometimes I try to get free. Not a lot. Sometimes I try to get free shit. Yeah. Sometimes I try to get free shit. A lot of times people send me free shit that I am like, oh boy, what am I going to do with this? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the answer is I donate it. Yeah. Um, But occasionally I will like kind of shamelessly try to get something my comment on the was definitely fishing. I was definitely, I was definitely fishing and I mean, it couldn't have worked out better. That purse, I'm not even kidding you. That purse was in my hands two and a half hours later. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got a little treat. I think, you know, and for, for everyone like, I want to talk a little bit about this because I think it's kind of interesting. Like, Busy, you know, makes her living, part of her living, like, sometimes promoting things on Instagram. And uh, what's unique about Busy is that uh, most of the things that she promotes on Instagram are the things that she really loves and uses. And, you know, and we've talked about, like, there are jobs for money and jobs for love and, you know, and all of that, like factors into it but it also sometimes like it'd be great for like a fledgling purse brand 
to, you know, have a picture of Busy Phillips with their chocolate cookie purse. You Which know, also then, just brings me the most joy in my life. Yes, it brings you joy. And so that's like, that's, um, that is a transaction. As, that's that, just- as that banana purse will bring you someday. <laughs> it's not out yet. It's not out yet. I tried. I tried. Oh my God. So that's not your Christmas present. Oh, wow. Wow. I know. And what am I going to do? I get the benefit. But anyway, that's a transaction that's just based on the the amount that that purse would cost is nowhere near what a brand would pay busy to, you know, show something on Instagram. But so it's like a little bit of a gamble with a company when they're, you know, but that's how well, it works with like, you for know. Sure. Yeah. And it, this goes that's back to- That's why influencers to, get sent shit. Yes. And this dates back to like the um, the- the swag suites, the gifting suites of the 1990s and why you can find weird flip phone photos of like 1990s heartthrobs like holding up, you know, coffee shoes for their coffee mates. Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> coffee Just mates. all kinds of weird. I feel like it's like coffee mates. It's always like some weird. <laughs> There's got to be a blog of like weird flip phone photos of just people in uh, like celebrities in there, gifting suites. There's like a whole, yes, there's like a whole, remember there was a whole thread. Oh my God. It's so funny to me. But anyway, I know that I like everywhere I've ever worked, like the host has always gotten, when I worked at the Rosie O'Donnell show, she mentioned liking Krispy Kreme donuts and they sent us like the whole machine that made the Krispy Kreme donuts. It was the most dangerous couple weeks of working at that show because we all ate 5,000 calories of hot, fresh Krispy Kreme donuts every day until finally the, like the facility, like 30 Rock was like, we can't have like the Krispy Kreme donut machine, like making hot, fresh donuts in the hallway. We have to like get rid of this thing. But yeah, one time Rosie just said like, oh, I'm really craving like coconut ice cream with like chocolate covered almonds in it. And like, that wasn't even a, a flavor that really existed. And we got like a truck, like some ice and cream now brand. It does. Yes. Some ice cream brand, like invented it, made it a whole truck of it came to the show. So much ice cream. But like, when I worked at The Late Show, we had like a little room that we called the Prize Wonderland where we would just put all of the stuff that was sent in. And like, you could just go in and if you needed like a hoodie, like maybe there'd be like a free hoodie in there or like, or maybe it would be like a Tiffany necklace or maybe it would be like a pair of sneakers. You know, you just never knew just because of the amount of stuff that was sent. I mean, here's what I would say. I, my first taste of, uh, the perks of working in any sort of entertainment industry was that when I was in my early twenties, a friend worked at a fashion magazine in the nineties, you know? Yeah. And she would go into the beauty closet (gasps) and would take all kinds of amazing products and send them to me. Uh. And it was like, honestly, such a like a such a treat yes such Such a treat an amazing treat treat. you've all Um, seen it you've watched ugly betty you've watched the devil wears prada you know how the beauty closet works but i have been thinking though like in you know how we did free stuff fridays on my crew yeah on on girls five eva on girls five eva with the things that i've been sent i feel like maybe we should start doing it on the sub stack 
Oh my God, that would be so fun. That would be so I fun. Know. Michaela, you know, my favorite makeup influencer, she does it with like makeup things that she sent and she does these like really cool periodic giveaways. I never enter, but I love watching and I love watching how excited people get to try the stuff out. Well, I think we should do that. Yeah. I think we should I start think, that on the Substack. Oh my God. Because I think that would be, so, be fun. so fun. That would be so fun. And then so I just fun. have to like mail it to you. <laughs> Listen, guys, somewhere between. Three days and four years later, you will receive the item. <laughs> I don't know when. I don't know how. But it's It'll coming happen. to you. It'll happen. It's I'll gonna, fly to you New know what York. I gave, you know what I gave Eric Gurian? He was so excited. What? Uh, Rothy's sent me the cutest like tennis collaboration thing that they did with um, Evian Water okay. for the US Open. This yeah. Was like a, whatever, two months ago. And... Gurian, that was when Gurian and I went to the U.S. Open together. Yeah, and he Eric Gurian, if you don't know, was also uh, worked with us on Busy Tonight. He and he's my Tina producer Fe. on yeah, Girls 5 Eva. Um, So we went to the, and he was like, oh my God, Victoria and I were just walking past Rothy's. We just saw all that stuff. It's so cool. <laughs> and so I gave them the tennis bag and the other little bag. Wow, wow, wow. Sent me. I know. I kept the fanny pack. Nice. And the shoes. Nice. Okay. They wouldn't fit anyway. Him. Yeah, Eric has is tall and has big But feet. anyway, he was very excited. People do get excited when they get the free shit. Yeah, it's And exciting. I just had a free shit fail thing that just happened to me now, which was that sometimes the free shit comes to the wrong place. So I had asked Blake to bring stuff over here to Casa Kismet. He did. And then I was just like trying to get rid of boxes before we started talking today. And I realized that like, there were like brownies and cookies in one of them. And that was like weeks ago. And I was like, oh, no. Bummer. I do wish things would say perishable on them. You know, oh, it or did. like, it, it did. oh, it did. You just didn't notice yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Because perishable is always like one time when we were renting the house over in Glassell Park before we moved here, um, someone misdelivered. Uh, a box of fruit for Christmas and I've never worked harder solving a mystery, trying to get that fruit to that person before it went off like a, like a fermented bomb. Um, perishable <laughs> just, you know, puts a ticking clock on something. Um, it really, really does. Okay. Let's go back to the list. Back, back to, the, to list. the list. Um, Oh, I was in Chicago for the marathon and I, it was, wait, Casey, the greatest experience. I was staying in this hotel. <laughs> yeah. And I knew the marathon was happening because I did. Yeah. And I woke up and like, this is what, this is what I'm saying was the best experience. And I didn't get it, capture it on my Instagram or whatever, because I literally woke up, opened the curtains, looked down and I was like, oh my God, there's the street right there. I could see people lined up. There's the street right there. People are going to run past. I had no idea what time the marathon started I had no idea like what mile that was or whatever oh wow two seconds later literally I'm like oh wow it's right there two seconds later police like escorts of like you know like on motorcycles police yeah. motorcyclists go through I was like huh that's funny I wonder what that means then it was like some people on bikes I don't know and then it was the fucking car. And then I saw all of the elite runners, like right then. 
And they, like the very first runners, like just do, 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 do. And like, so it was the two runners in the front and then there was like a smaller group behind them and then there was like a s- smaller group behind them. And these are the people that like literally run the marathon in two hours. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They were running so fast. I know, and it's incredible. it was just like, I just felt like so excited that I just saw that moment. Like it was like the first thing that happened when I woke up, I like opened the curtains and I was like, whoa. And before my eyes could even like adjust, basically, <laughs> that the car, start. yeah, the car came through and then the, and then the runners were there. And then I found out later from the hotel that I was like, it was like around just after mile two was what oh, I was looking at. Oh, So okay. it was like pretty early on, but like still it was very electric. The energy was electric. That's very better at the beginning than at the end of the marathon when everyone's pooped themselves. Yeah, that's true. But here's what also I want to say. I have never run a marathon. I'm never going to run a marathon. Guys, you heard it here first. (laughs) Never going to fucking happen with these knees and these hips and this person. Absolutely not. These nipples. Well, you're IBS. You're automatically automatically disqualified. I've already shit myself. Yeah, You've shit yourself at mile two. Thinking about it. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, not even mile two, babe. Just thinking about it. Out the gate. Just thinking about it. I'm done. Um, But so I say this with as much love as I can, someone who doesn't and has never, and it will never run. But I did, I did give birth without pain drugs. Okay. Okay. And that in and of itself is like a marathon. That's a feat. Yeah. Okay. It's a feat. Okay. And so I'm just like, I'm already like trying to see if I'm going to sound like a dick. So that, that afternoon and evening in Chicago, it was so cute. It was so fun. Everywhere you went, there were people out with wearing their medals. Aww. You know what I mean? It was like yeah. so cute. It was just like fantastic. Yeah. And people were like, hi, you know, woo. I couldn't talk. Yeah. So I was bummed because I was, this was like a prime opportunity for a person that loves to talk to people. Yeah. I had an in. Yeah. And I couldn't couldn't use it because I couldn't an talk opener. to opener. Right. The next day, though, you still wear the medal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, like, I'm, I know it's, like, really fucking impressive. You wear it the like, whole time you're in Chicago. Okay. All right. Okay. Till you go home. Okay. Okay. And maybe, okay. like, two days after you go home. Like, you went to sleep. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then you woke up and you, like, put it back on like a necklace. <laughs> Like, to me, I was like, it's a bridge too far. Like, oh my also, you didn't win the marathon. You know what I mean? Well, you did, though. It's not a race. It's a, it's a, like a marathon. It's a completion exercise. And you, no, if I mean, you it's got, definitely a race. Like, people win money for finishing. I mean, yes, but like, realistically, like, three people have a chance of winning it. And then everybody else is just merely participating. Right? If we're being honest. Yeah, I mean, I guess it is like, I mean, I really am, I'm really, this is truly, like, there's a part of me that just wishes, like, they had a t-shirt that said, like, <laughs> I ran the marathon. There was just something so, no, like, you need the medal. awkward to me about people wearing the medal the next day, because I just was like, you have to wear that the whole day. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I wish, I wish their friends had just made them a t-shirt that was like, I ran the fucking marathon. Sorry if I'm walking weird. 
I ran the marathon yesterday. Oh my Which, God. Which, by the way, I will say was a very real thing. I saw, I went to the Art Institute the next day. Yeah. I saw so many people having a real hard time walking upstairs, downstairs, like sort of like hobbling. Like people it was were always one of my in pain. Yeah. Always one of my most like, I don't want to say favorite sites, but it was always so interesting to me because uh, after the New York City Marathon, you would see people wrapped up in Mylar blankets to oh, get yeah, warm yeah, yeah. with their medals on, taking the subway, and I would just be like, oh my God, t- treat yourself to a cab, folks. Please. But I guess there's so many people that, but all I know is that like running a marathon is truly like, it makes you poop your pants. It makes your nipples bleed. People put bandages over their nipples because like the rubbing of their shirt, like makes their nipples bleed. And like, I had a friend that was a marathoner and, uh, we met her because the New York city marathon used to also go by our apartment mm. and it was near the end. And we met her to like cheer her on over the finish line. And she was so delirious after that. She introduced me to Matt and was like, Casey, have you ever met my friend Matt? And I was like, we came here together from our apartment where we live together and we're married. And Yes, we weren't married at that point, but I was like, right. like the, you know us in the, and she was, and we were just like, yeah, we've met, like we didn't even know what to say, and then she just like wandered off into like a sea of marathoners, and I was like, I hope she's okay. She probably went and got on the subway. It's wild what a marathon can do to a person, like giving birth. I imagine. yeah. So I guess I mean, you got to carry your baby around that's, after. Well, that's what I was gonna say. I was literally like <laughs> in my head. I was like, I mean, I guess I did technically carry that baby for the rest of my life. So. <laughs> People, but oh people will gosh. know that I like, you know, but I don't know. I just like, I do think that if I were to ever run a marathon, yeah, I would definitely wear the medal the first day. So fun. Yeah. And the next day I would definitely have a t-shirt made. Congratulate me. I ran the marathon. Maybe Summer at Brave Gowns can do it because she made a t-shirt for me to give to Bette Midler that said Kennedy Center honoree. Oh my god, that's really funny. <laughs> because she was like, "The I'm not gonna uh, be able to wear the medal around," and I don't know how many people watch that, you know, induction ceremony. So Summer made her a T-shirt that said "Kennedy Center Honoree." Well, this is if we make the marathon shirts, guys, you're on, <laughs> you're on the honor system. You yeah. can't buy the you can't buy the Iran marathon. Ah, but you know what? But you know what? But you know what? And hear me out here. <laughs> Aren't we all running a marathon? Yeah. Okay. So it's a honestly, marathon, not a sprint. Honestly, guys, I think we got to do it. I think <laughs> I actually really would like to wear a shirt that said, I ran a marathon. <laughs> I'm currently running a marathon. I'm currently running a marathon. <laughs> Congratulate me. I am running a marathon. <sighs> I think that's like, that's, that is. A hit. That's a hit t-shirt. I am running a marathon. <laughs> I really like it. You can wear it for the rest of your life. I actually just want it in like block letters. Yeah. A little bit like just like, I am running a marathon. I am running a marathon. <laughs> I want it. I want it. I'm in. Not little, not little on the pocket. Big. On Big. your chest. Block block letters. Running a, currently running a marathon. <laughs> Maybe it's and currently, also that, 
Maybe it's currently running a marathon. Currently running a marathon because it's like people can clap for you, but also get the fuck out of your way. Get the fuck out of my way. (laughs) I am currently running a marathon. (laughs) Oh, no. no, Don't don't blow out your voice. I have to go in a second because I have to do the table read for single (gasps) drunk female. Oh, that's so exciting. All right. Wait, let's get through this list. Okay. Trader Joe's soft baked snickerdoodles. Holy shit. They're so good. Guess what? Birdie's a real Trader Joe's bitch. I know. I mean, I'm, you know, we, you had to send the Takis. Yes, because yes. Birdie was obsessed with Takis. No, they're not Takis. They're, they're, well, they're like a version of Takis. They're similar. But they're, likes the Trader Joe's ones better. Yes, yes. And they didn't have them in New York. Last year. Uh, right, right, right. And so, we... so Casey generously, generous, <laughs> generous, Casey generously sent 12 bags, I believe. <laughs> Which, by the way, the kid made it through because sure. we're now currently repurchasing Takis. But like Trader Joe's was a thing that I like definitely shopped at a ton yeah. in my 20s. But then once I got married, Mark was not a Trader Joe's fan. Mm, and it slowly dropped off. Emily Beebe, when we lived together, we just were Trader Joe's aficionados. Yeah. We were like yeah. in it to win it with the Joes. Then Mark, not so much, didn't like it. And I jo- and I just like stopped, you know? Yeah. So the kids didn't really grow up with a Trader Joe's right. as a grocery store. Right. And Birdie has just come to, you know, there are there are things that are just inherited. It's just inherited. It was it's just in Birdie's in genes. In her genes, in her blood. Yeah. And so Trader Joe's is one of those things. And she loves it. And she like loves going there and getting oh, the snacks. Good. good. The snickerdoodles are so good. If They're you have- so fucking good if you've skipped the soft baked vegan chocolate chip cookies because no. they're vegan no 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 they're don't so tell me. good don't they're tell me so they're so Wait, good. i'm so happy because i'm not having dairy now because of my you know there you go yeah they're really good like my sinai is that yeah. what we call them or sinuses plural yes sinai, sinai. yes that would yes. be amazing <laughs> well i don't know guys all i know is that if you have a Trader I'm Joe's near you. I'm reigniting my love yeah. of Trader Joe's through my child. Embracing it. I'm embracing it. They have everything you, know what you I really could did? need there. I, I do. When I was in my 20s and I was like trying to lose weight for this TV show, like I was told I had to lose weight. Remember that yeah. story? Yes, yes. Like they needed me to lose whatever, pounds. Yeah. <clears throat> I got really into that like egg white salad as like a substitute for meals. Oh, right. Because I was like, it's protein, like whatever. Right, I can't, right. I actually can't look right. at it. It makes me like Ugh. ill because, yeah. Um, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to <laughs> talk about that. Wait, is your phone tired? It's just quitting? Yeah, my phone is just like in... I want to know everybody else out there who has an iPhone. Does this always happen? Is it a placebo yes. effect? Are we convincing ourselves that no, when, it's a when new, the new phone comes? Yes, it happens. When a new phone comes out, now all of a sudden my perfectly good phone is like, I don't feel good. I can't do that. Yes, and that is what my phone. Uh, my phone has oh, been wait. doing. Wait, an update on my phone. Remember how I was like, I think I got a bunk phone yes I'm an idiot I don't I didn't have a bunk phone what happened I just like I didn't have the time 
to like immediately transfer the stuff over because it takes like two hours. Yeah. So I was just letting it slowly transfer all of my information over and it was draining my battery every day. Ah. Uh, for the first like week I had the phone. Okay. So guys, if you get a new phone and you don't do the thing where you like fully transfer. Fully transfer it like overnight or whatever, just know that it is using energy because it's like downloading all of your information until it's not anymore. There you go. Well, I'm glad you found that out. I know. Me too. That and now my battery's be, great. That could be helpful to people. Clarence Thomas was a Prince fan. He announced in some like, there was a SCOTUS case about um, like a fair use because Andy Warhol once did a portrait using uh, a photograph of Prince. Um, it's a great portrait. It's a good photograph of Prince. It's not my favorite. Um, both Prince and Andy Warhol are no longer here. So it's one of those things where I'm kind of like, whatever, why are we? But it's important. It's an important fair use argument, which if you work in the media, you know about what fair use is. But then Clarence Thomas saying that he was a Prince fan back in the 80s grossed me out. I don't think Prince would have been a fan of Also, you know what, Clarence Thomas? I don't want to hear it. Yeah. I don't want to hear anything out of your fucking mouth. Go away. Because I know what you're a bigger fan of. Being fucking I don't Clarence know, but Thomas. Like, and- do we need to be? Do we need to be? Do we need to channel Rabbi Sharon? And like, do you need to use his love of Prince to cross over the aisle or whatever, and be like, and invite him in, and be like, Clarence Thomas, I hear your love of Prince. I too share a love of Prince, and also fundamental equality and rights. <laughs> I mean, I could definitely put together like a political Prince playlist for him that would be great that That's maybe it. That's but i it. think like oh my god that- make a political wait 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 for our sub stack please yes. make a political prince playlist i will in honor of clarence thomas and That's let's what just I'll do. and we're gonna we're gonna change some hearts and minds that's what i'll do and um yeah and then i'll you know but i think like being married to Ginny thomas and and uh you know I don't know how much a, a playlist is going to influence old Clarence, but um, but who knows? Oh, no, he's the worst, yeah. to be sure. The worst thing that happens is we share Prince playlists with our friends, and they love some of the songs on, on it because he has some great political numbers. Um, okay, I have to get going, so let's just do what yeah. we are doing our best at. Yeah. What are you doing your best at this week? What am I doing my best at this week? Well, I really have like um, taken you kind of seriously, jokingly seriously about being like a fashion influencer. And like, while I don't think like I've not been contacted by any brands about free things that they want to give me, but I have been, you know, just thinking about like my love of fashion. It's real. It's been a long time. Like my two choices of what I wanted to be when I grew up were like to work in entertainment or to be a fashion designer. And that is something that I just haven't even acknowledged like since I was seven or something, or I just, you know, and I have been sort of, um, I think we've talked about this on the podcast. Like, I think because I'm like not straight sized, I'm plus size. I think people 
have sort of treated me in the past like I didn't have the right to want to wear cute things. Oh, right. Of course. Um, And like, and, and you know, and sometimes you just get that vibe, but people have also like flat out said like, why are you wearing that sexy thing or whatever? Like it's, it's not okay. And I find it distracting or whatever. Um, fuck those people. Uh, I don't even wear that sexy clothes, so I don't even know why the fuck anyone would ever say that to me, but whatever. But anyway, so I've just been, you know, thinking about it. And uh, I am writing a Substack post about um, how I packed for that trip, like making like a little capsule wardrobe for that trip. The writing is done. I just need to photograph the clothes to like illustrate it. That is hard. You know, that's the hardest part for me, photographing. But, you know, I just think it's interesting. And I've just been thinking a little bit about like getting dressed every day because that has not been a part of my past um, couple years. And, you know, and so... That's just like a that's just like a new little feeling for me. Being like, it's time to get out of the leggings and the sweatshirts. Leggings and sweatshirts have their place, but it had become my default, and that is, you know, that I have other exciting colors to paint with in my closet, and so I should, and so I am. You really do. I'm glad. I'm happy (laughs) to see it. I'm happy for you to be an influencer. Um, What are you doing your best at? Well. I think I really like listened to my body this week. You did. A thing that's not always easy for me, I do push myself. I do push through. But I just was like I got to I got to take it I got to rest. I have yeah. to take it easy and I have to rest. Yeah. And I can say no to some things. It's okay. Yeah. You know? I was so proud of you. Send my regrets. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think like it's interesting. It is really a thing that's hard for me. And I feel like so, I don't know. It's hard for me. But what's also hard is that there are also people in my life that like don't accept it because it's never been the way that I am. Right. And so then I get the pushback from that and it makes me feel like it, 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 that is where I get stuck sometimes, you know, cause I'm yeah. like, oh God, ugh. but I was able to kind of move through that in a good way this time. Yeah. Which I feel like is a positive step. I think that's so good. How did you move through it? Can you say? Like, just like not allowing my own feelings of, like not allowing it to change my course. Good. Like my feelings of like feeling like, ugh, I should just be able to show up. I should just be able to do this. I should be able, I should be. And I just didn't. And I just like, it's like, no, I'm just going to. Yeah. Just going to do this. Say I say to myself a lot, things are different now and I'm different. Ooh, so whenever like whenever somebody's like, but you always, uh, but you used to, things are different now and I'm different. Things are different now and I am different. I am so grateful that Rabbi Sharon was able to be on our podcast today. I am too. She's amazing. Yeah. Her, her sermons are... 
really great. Guys, They're just I a, really recommend check them, them out. Yeah, just check them out. They're good to listen to, and we know that you like to listen to things. So, right there. Yeah, I mean, I really find her sermons always so lifting to me. Like even when they make me, even when they kind of break my heart, because there are yeah. some that, and she, you know, her sermons like like you would in a Catholic or Christian or whatever church, like a lot of, you know, it ties back to whatever the Torah part is that they're reading that week. Right. So you get a little bit of like old school Bible in there too, which I don't right. know much about. But right. I just called it the old school Bible, guys. I realize <laughs> that's not what they called it. Although, Well, the whole maybe, Bible is kind of old school. Maybe Old Testament, old school Bible. Yeah. Maybe we just go old school Bible. Old school, new school. That's how we get, that's how we get kids into it. <laughs> the old school Bible. It's old school. Oh my God. I feel like anyway. Stephen Baldwin would appreciate, would, would be on board with this. <laughs> so wild. Um, anyway, that's all for us. Thanks for bearing with me and my weird illness this week. And we love you guys so much. Thank you for all of your support. And like, the fundraising is happening. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yes. $200,000. <laughs> We're going to do it. Yes, Let's do it. Busy as Instagram and uh, we'll I'm gonna share send, it on the I'm going to send yours. I'm going to send you the link too, Case, okay, and great. you can start promoting as well. Yeah. And then guys, let's undo a hard. It's the last <laughs> It's the last chance at saving the democracy, but not really, because now we know from Rabbi Sharon, we've got to hold all these it things. It all goes on. It all we, goes it on. It all goes on. We're we're looking for a subversive second act, a subversive sequel. Sequel. A subversive yeah. sequel. It's going to change and going to be equitable for all. We want that's what we want. We want it just and equitable for everybody. Not just people who have had it just and equitable for them forever. For everyone. Everyone. And then when that That's happens, we're gonna want. have to we're gonna have to keep fighting to hold on to it. Yes. But we everyone gets a cookie purse. <laughs> <laughs> Biz, I love you. I'm so glad I you're love feeling you too. better. Thank you. And love you all. And we'll love talk you to you all soon. Bye. Bye. Oh, no. <laughs>